I, it was it was for a specific like I had I would, I'd been having a bad day or I had a cold or something and I needed like a bit of sugar and there was no like biscuits or anything so I just put some sugar in my tea. Oh, duh. Will you put sugar in my tea because I had a bad day? I put my own sugar in my tea, Edgar. Lord of the Rings, right? Is that a mythology? I don't know. You don't know. Didn't he explicitly write it to be an English mythology uh, that would be analogous to the kind of the, the German and Saxon mythologies? Yeah, yeah, he did. But does that make it a mythology? Can we put it in with like the Greek myths and the Norse myths? It, I would intuitively say no because it doesn't have the same cultural weight because it, it's it's not like. I would imagine that mythologies mean that they actually represented something about the worldviews of a group of people and of disparate groups of people over different times and the different interpretations of, you know, what Loki represented or, you know, what Thor was represent different things about those cultures over that period. But Lord of the Rings, while drawing on that, is very much Tolkien being a 1940s, 1950s Englishman. Yeah, but he addresses, like, concerns of that era, that people had in that era. Yeah, but just of that era. It's very... It's kind of one-dimensional in that sense, that there's there's only Lord of the Rings, that single work. And, oh, oh, look, there's his whole... His whole, um... The whole Middle-earth canon or whatever. But it's only that, and it's only the work of one creator, so there isn't... There isn't a, a variety of interpretations of the same kind of core concepts like there is for the different versions of Greek myths and the different versions of Roman and Egyptian myths. They have all been told in different ways by different people from a variety of quite different cultures. Okay, so... Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. So that means Lord of the Rings could become mythology if given enough time. And if, um, if we lose where it came from. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I, I've actually... This, this is interesting you bring this up because I do have some thoughts on this. I think that, in a way, um, superheroes and possibly uh, Doctor Who is more like modern mythology because it's written by different people and it's archetypal characters used to explore different issues. And especially if you give up on canon and things, because there's no canon in in the myths, because they're all different people's traditions and different storytellers would come up with different things. So, in, in a way, like, you know, what what is this Captain America story about? Well, it's about American jingoism. Or this Captain America story is about, like, I don't know, the Great Depression or something. Okay. So I, I think that you can make a case there that they're sort of more like modern mythology. I would never have thought that. That's the, I I totally get it. I'm totally on board with that. I think that's a mm-hmm. that's a great idea. But I just I would never have intuitively thought about that. Ah, there you yeah, go. There we go. I I I I'm sure someone has written something on this somewhere. I've I've never come across it, but I've I've discussed this with a few people. One of my friends did write his thesis on Captain America. No way. For example, yeah, and how like different writers and the different like story arcs in in different versions of Captain America over the last like thirty years or something reflect the different kind of concerns of contemporary American thought and and American politics. What was he studying? Design? Really? Yeah. And he worked I, in I Captain America. Design. That's brilliant. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean I can I can pick his brains about it if, if you want and 
Dude, that'll be really, that's really interesting. I think that's a, a really cool idea. I ran this uh, question by the captain. Yeah. Uh, and the captain is a sort of enthusiastic lover of fairy tales and mythology. Yeah, yeah. And I talked to her about this and she was adamant it was no. Um, for much the same reasons that uh, you've given. Stuff like it was, it was written by a single guy. There's no like tradition of passing it down and like this Chinese whispers element to it. So she was very much of the opinion Lord of the Rings is not a myth. And I was I I'm I'm not quite sure. I think it's I think we need to wait a bit and I think it'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Which oh, means that it isn't currently though. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's not currently, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I just thought I'd run that by I'd run that by you. Um the captain was also interested in hearing what you had to say about it. Mm. Um, so thank you, man. You're very welcome. Alright, should we do some follow up? Sure. Okay, so first topic of follow-up, right? This is going to annoy you something serious, but I'm just going to do it anyways. We had a comment in uh, the Reddit uh, from Head58. Okay. Who rightly pointed out that we spend a lot of time talking about Base 12. In the last episode, yeah. yeah. and extolling the virtues of Base 12. And then immediately I switched to saying that we're having a Base 10 season. Mm-hmm. Right, now did you see where I'm going here, Bill? I think we should have a 12-episode season. I mean, the, the only thing that annoys me there is that we made the declaration in the last episode, and now we're rescinding it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, but that's okay. These, these are naturally evolving things. I think this is a great idea. And as well, like, I didn't get my act together in time, and I haven't got around to putting up a YouTube channel yet. So an extra two episodes will really help Edgar on the whole, like, scheduling thing. But, a new YouTube channel? Yeah, you remember the, the, art of the podcast YouTube channel? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yes. I haven't got around to that because of work and stuff, so... I, I, I thought that was just going to be another series on the main channel. Oh, no, no, it's going to be a separate channel. Cool. So, I would like to do 12 episodes. Is that okay with you, Bill? I mean, that, that's fine by me. If, we, if we're doing it monthly, then that, that actually works quite neatly. Because it matches up with the year. But wait, hold on. How... <laughs> but we started in, like, April. Yeah. There isn't two months left until April. Did we do like we we had? Oh, because we released loads at, at all at once. We had three ready to go. We launched three at once. Yeah, we launched three. At once. Okay, so we're we're just syncing up with the year. We will be okay. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. Okay, that's fine. So and and so we're going to number it like this, right? We've had episode zero uh, through to nine. Yeah. Okay, and then we're today's episode is going to be episode X. Right. Pronounced deck, I'm told. The Dozen Society of America tells me it's pronounced deck. And then the next episode's going to be episode E, which is pronounced L. And then the 12th episode is going to be episode Do. Okay. So you go 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, X, E, 10, and then loop around. But that's 13. If we start from 0, that's 13. Yeah, yeah, but but the the tenth episode or the twelfth is the start of the next season. Okay, but would that not be then two point zero? Oh, was it two point zero? What? Because of the second season episode zero. The second season episode zero. What? Oh, oh, no! So it won because we're we're, we're doing computer counting. So yeah, I get you. I get you. Well, there isn't like there isn't a divide. There isn't a point to divide season from episode. There isn't a point to divide season from episode. As in, like a as in a period, a dot to divide season and episode. It's actually just going to be one zero one 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 two, not one point zero one point one one. Oh yeah, no dots, no dots. 
Okay, yeah. No, then, then I'm on board. Then I'm on okay, board. and then the, you can still tell what season you're on by the leading digit. Right. All right? <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's... It's kind of daft, but it's no more daft, really, than anything else. <laughs> I, I, I think it's beautifully hilarious. And, like, let's face it, this, like, I don't think this podcast will ever, like, blow up and become massive, right? So we can do these type of things without having to... You're just saying that so that when we are hugely famous in the future, you can look back and be all humble on, like, some interview when they play this clip back. I, I will never listen to any of our old podcasts. I can't. I, I've, oh, I just I, broke my pen. Oh, just break your pen. Oh, I'm really sorry, Bill. Sugar. Have you got another pen? I do, yeah, but, no, but I pulled I pulled the nib out by accident, and now I think ink is going to go everywhere. Oh, God, this is, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> Good start to the episode. Good start to the episode. Ink everywhere. Uh, okay, no, I fixed it. I fixed it. We're good. Okay. Disaster averted. Okay. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> that's, that's okay. So sorry, listeners. we're going to have 12 episodes per season just to mess with you. I think head 58. Great idea. Cheers, Ed. All right. Now, so second point, we received a message from a Redditor called UCLA Need a Programmer, which I think is, okay. <laughs> which is a brilliant, brilliant username. And without reading it all out, the gist of it is that he really likes the podcast, which, which is great. Cheers. And he also listens to it while tuning lasers in the lab. Okay. So, and he's, he even mentions here, it, literally, we are a part of his construction of death rays. And uh, I just want to, wanted to read that out because that is class <laughs> to know that someone is listening to our podcast while like tweaking the optics of his death rays in some lab somewhere. Just uh, brilliant. Uh, you see a lady, a programmer, um, when you hold the world to ransom, please remember Edgar and Bill. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Don't. <laughs> Can, can can we have some like? Can we have some role in your your horrifying new world order? Oh, oh! Maybe like ministers of propaganda. Oh, that would be a great idea. I'd love to be minister of propaganda. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we'd be good enough. Yeah, but I mean, like, we already have a radio platform. Yeah, with which to like you know send the propaganda out there. I think I think we're ideal candidates. In fact, I think any new world new world order without us would just fail. It would crumble straight away. Um, I mean. Uh, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I think you're probably right. UCLA need a programmer. You've been warned. <laughs> <laughs> think of us, all right? <laughs> all right, so that's point number two. Point number three. Have you heard the news about Star Trek? That there will be a new series, a new TV series. There will be a new TV series. I am not very optimistic about this, but uh, it's kind of fun news for Trekkies everywhere. Um, how are you not optimistic? Because it can either go one of two ways. It's either going to do like just rehashing old Trek. Yeah. Or it's going to go and continue the new Trek things that the J.J. Abrams has set up. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not very fond of because Trek isn't an action thing. Trek is about commentary. And those new films are all action and no commentary. And if the new series does that, that's going to be an epic fail. So I, I think it's... A I, I reckon you can make the, the, the point that the first episode, or the first J.J. Um, Abrams film has the commentary that women are just there to be dead mothers and to take their tops off. But you know, <laughs> that's just me. Yeah, okay, let's put it differently. Uh, Trek usually has valid commentary. Yeah? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, just those star, those J.J. Abrams films are just, yeah, they're not good. So I, I'm looking forward to, like, being able to watch a new Trek when it's out. Like, that's going to be cool. 
Yeah. But I've, I haven't got hopes on it ever touching like Deep Space Nine or the next generation. So anyhow, the reason why I bring this up is that the internet has been awash with speculation as to what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a couple of really bad, I don't know if they're rumors or leaks or something, but a couple of worrying things. One, Captain Worf. Right. You remember Worf from the Next Generation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, t- there, uh, there's an idea that he could be uh, the captain of the new Enterprise or the new ship. Right. And that that's not good. Why is that? Because it's just like new characters, people, you know? Come up with new things. Don't just, like, you know, get all the old folks on. And, like, Worf had his time and, you know, he was a great character. I loved him. But don't don't rely on the old stuff. they got to do something new and creative, I think. Yeah. Um, and he was in Deep Space Nine for a lot of it as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in Deep Space Nine. I wonder, was he in Voyager? Mm. Because at the very start, Voyager takes off from Deep Space Nine. He may have been in the first episode or he may have, like, appeared occasionally or towards the end or something. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I know for a fact Quark. Do you remember Quark? The Ferengi? The Ferengi guy. He was in He was in The Next Generation. Not as Quark, but he was in The Next Generation. Uh, yeah. Obviously in Deep Space Nine. And he was in Voyager. He was in that first episode. I'm sure the guy who plays Tuvok is one of the mercenaries in the best Star Trek Next Generation <laughs> episode. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, whatever you say, Bill. <laughs> um, okay, a quick look at uh, Wikipedia suggests he wasn't in... Voyager. Oh, that's a shame because he's a pretty like long-serving member of the Trek world. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you know the guy who played the clone in Deep Space Nine? What's his name? Oh, Wayun. Wayun. That's who it is. Wayun. I don't know who that is. Okay, Google him there. Oh yeah, that dude. What about him anyway? Uh, he, I think he's been in just about every single Star Trek. Obviously not the original series. He has appeared as so many characters. And even in Deep Space Nine, he has appeared as two characters in the same episode of different like uh, races. <laughs> That's great. This guy's just mental. Like, so if they do New Trek, he's got to make an appearance somewhere. Just as a minor character, just to have to do that. Anyhow, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting sidetracked here. The, the other horrifying thing I read was that they were going to set it in the Academy. Right, so like Star Trek High School. Yeah, exactly. That's I was really worried about that. You know, like yeah. the OC, but with aliens. And I was like, oh. So I hope that doesn't happen. And finally on this, we had a comment in the Reddit from a TF Sakon, I believe, who has an idea for the new Star Trek. And actually he, he posted this, or th- that person posted it, before we found out about the news of the new Star Trek. It's pretty cool. He calls it Star Trek Exodus. Right. And his sort of summary of it is that a flotilla of Federation ships escape away from a galaxy-scale catastrophe. Those who escape soon encounter smaller escaping groups from the main powers of the galaxy at the time. So, everyone is fleeing some sort of, like, omnipresent disaster, and they all have to, they've all become kind of, like, migrants, and they all have to, like, work together and put aside differences and the conflict and that. And I think that's a really cool idea. It's like post-apocalyptic galaxy, which I really like. Star Trek Galactica. It's, yeah, I said in the comments, I was like, it has teams of Battlestar Galactica to it, which I think is absolutely fine. Battlestar Galactica is great. If you can mash the two of them together, I think that'd be class. Yeah. So I just want um, to give... I know s- Stargate Universe was kind of Stargate Galactica, and that was all right. I don't think it really did it as well as, as Battlestar did. 
Um, yeah, but, be but it, yeah, it would be interesting to do it with multiple um, civilizations. Mm, exactly. So you have like the Borg and uh, like the Federation fleeing a common enemy. Yeah. And that would be really cool and see like how allegiances change and all of this. Um, and I was thinking to myself, there is at the end of Voyager, they they discover like a sort of like highway intersection of like hyperspace tunnels that the Borg mm. use. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, just on this idea uh, of Star Trek Exodus, it could be a case that all of these different civilizations are trying to find those tunnels and use them as kind of like hyperspace jumps away from the galaxy. Mm-hmm. So you have like this mad dash to these like hidden locations that no one really knows. Um, and I, th- I think that'd be a really cool like additional point on uh, Sakon's idea. I think that would be very cool. I, I don't think they would do it because I don't think they'd upset the, the status quo of the setting that much. Ah, here. Well, I mean, the films upset the status quo of the setting something serious. I don't think people have any problem with the setting. Ah, they did. They completely changed everything about it. It doesn't matter because it's a new continuity. Oh, do you know, I, I, do you know I hate that. I, just, like, we will stop talking about Star Trek in a second, but I really hate this, like, it's the alternate Trek or it's a new timeline. It's like, no, what you've done is you've just made a bad Trek with, like, completely different story arcs and you've just trying to pigeon, like, shoehorned it into this different timeline. I don't, I don't like it. Okay, I, I can see an objection in this specific instance, but in general, that's what I'm talking about with, with um, mythology. Because this is another example of that. It's the same kinds of characters being used to tell slightly different stories. So what, it shouldn't need to be a slave to the original cat because it's all fictional anyway. So why not use the same characters to tell different things? Yeah. And they just call it a new continuity just because people get like, uh, people get pedantic about that kind of thing. People like Edgar get pedantic. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still more of opinion that I'd like to see new stuff happening. I, I don't really want to see like the 10th like incarnation of Kirk. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just a personal thing, you know? So anyway, there's a little bit of Star Trek news, new series, and a really good suggestion for how that series should go by T.F. Sakon. Yeah, that's very interesting. All right. I would like to see that happen. I, I think it'd be cool. And I, I really want to see something post, post-apocalyptic, something that's dark and dirty and, you know, all, all rules are off and, you know, that sort of thing. So we talked about Harry Potter the last time. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Base 12. And how Base 12 works really well because it can be divided by a whole bunch of lovely numbers. Right. And a Redditor by the username Silverus or Silverius, something like that, Silverus, writes that, and I didn't know, I wasn't aware of this, in Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling has set up like the worst currency system ever. Mm Mm-hmm. So he says, now I'm just going on this comment. He says that there's uh, 29 nuts to a sickle. And then there's 17 sickles to a galleon. Yeah. All right. Now, 29 and 17 are both prime. Okay. So it's rubbish for dividing things. And it's like, he basically, he works it out that the only way this system works is that if the people just carry, like, monumental amount as like, sacks of stuff on them, stacks, sacks of currency. Because there's no way of, like, there's no way of having, like, small change for anything because of the way everything's divided. Yeah, like, you, you're not going to have, like, a five-nut piece because that doesn't go evenly into a sickle. Exactly, exactly. He points out that he hopes this is J.K. Rowling trolling the Imperial system. 
And I hope it is too. <laughs> because if this is serious, that there's like 29 nuts in a sickle and 17 sickles in a galleon, that's just terrible. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, bear in mind that the, the, the world of Harry Potter is, you know, still kind of pseudo-feudal. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's barely beyond medieval in a lot of respects. Yeah, but any real-life currency system surely must work better than that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean. But, I mean, up until decimalization, currency was quite complicated. You know, okay, you say there were 140 or however many it was, pennies to a, to a pound. But, like, guineas and shillings and crowns and things, they were all kind of, like, competing levels of subdivision that didn't all equally go into each other. Uh, like, it's crazy. Like, why, mm-hmm. don't, why didn't people standardize this stuff fast, like? And then when they, they started, they there was just multiple competing standards. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and that's part of the confusion over Napoleon's height, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Napoleon wasn't that short. No, Napoleon was average height, wasn't he? He was like my height, and we only think of him so short because he was. We take the the measurement in like the archaic units and just plonk it onto metric and go, oh, it's- he was five one. Ha ha, lol. No, it's a disparity between the the French and English feet at the time. They oh, were, okay. They were counted differently, and that was that was a contemporary confusion or a contemporaneous. It was a confusion at the time, whatever the correct word for that is. Oh, okay. Um, and for that reason, he was portrayed as short in English propaganda. Oh, right. Oh, so it's so, deliberate, like not necessarily deliberate. I mean, they they may have like honestly thought he was short because of that. Because of that confusion between the units, they may not have realised there was a confusion between the units. Like the the propagandists may not have realised. If they did, they probably would have ignored it so that they could portray him as short. And also, he had a thing. I've I've read this of um his imperial guard, like his his own personal soldiers. Mm. He only took people who were over six foot, which was like really tall at the time. Oh right. Uh, so so he seemed he looked, really short. Yeah, so he seemed short because he he deliberately surrounded himself with huge lads. What? Why? To make them really impressive, because he was the emperor. All right, okay, but truly, it makes him look very unimpressive. <laughs> no, but it doesn't matter because he's the emperor because he controlled all of Europe. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I'm, I might be a little bit shorter than these dudes, but I am also the emperor. So yeah, anything you can say, <laughs> yeah, anything you can say there, the rebuttal is just like I- I'm the emperor, and then just yeah, auto yeah, win. <laughs> um, did you know that about his height and what the mix-up was, or did you Google it? Because I know you like you like your Napoleon, don't you? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I knew that already. Oh, I think it's really interesting. I must quiz you more on your knowledge of that era because I know hardly anything about that era. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll warn you that a lot of it does come from fiction. Yeah, man, uh, I don't mind. <laughs> and some, like, some of it is is from reading like actual like real books, but a lot of it is from fiction. <laughs> oh, I told the captain about that book with uh, set in Napoleonic era, except with dragons. Temeraire, yeah. Yeah, she was like, oh, this is good. This, this, I, I'm I'm getting this. <laughs> she should, it's really good. Yeah, I told her it was very, very good and I, I bigged it up. Uh, hopefully not too much, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah. So that is point number four. Uh, and a quick, a quick extra point. We need to correct slightly about what we said about the Mayan uh, counting system. Yeah. You alluded to this in the previous podcast, but I just want to like state it for sure. The Mayan counting system is not base 60. It's base 20. Okay. Okay, you know, you, you were onto something, so I just want to state it. It's the Sumerians and the Babylonians that were, like, truly base 60. Cool. And this came from uh, a Redditor, Cerberus0225. 
mm-hmm. who who left like a comment that pretty much tells you how to world build with mats uh, oh. in the Reddit. And in one comment, he kind of touches on everything you need to do if you're going to world build number systems. I'll link this comment in the show notes. I think it's really cool. And for one one reason that I picked up on that I really liked is that he mentions the fact that base one acts as sort of precursor to every to any more complicated base, which I'd never really thought of. And he talk he talks about how how when you imagine how people first start counting, it's always in a sort of tally system, and then they begin yeah. to group their tallies, and they inadvertently come up, they move from base one to more complicated bases. I thought that was great. I thought that was really really brilliant. Does that really count as base one, though? Because, like, how many fingers do you have? Like, do I currently have? Like, now, are you asking me, or is that rhetorical? Yeah, like, like, okay, on your left hand, how many fingers are there? I believe five, last time I checked. Okay, but explain that to me in, in, in a unary system. One, 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 one. Yeah, but that's not really, that's... I don't know. That doesn't really feel like it, like a number system at all to me in the same way because you're going to have to okay one 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 one. How many ones is that? That's five ones. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not a number system. That's that's why it it it's a tally system and it's kind yeah. of it it like they wouldn't be thinking in a base like early cultures. They'll be thinking in just let's note down all the times something shows up and then mm. in tallying it they start to develop bases. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, okay. just, I just I think it's like not an intuitive thing to think about because you all you, like you look at your hand and you go, oh, "That's five. and then you think, "Oh, everyone's always thought that's five or whatever they call five. But it's fünf or uh, sank sank in French, sank. Dean vatre pachuri pshat, I think, or something oh, in Russian. In Russian, okay. Yeah, you have a Russian thing on Facebook. Your name is Russian on Facebook. No, it isn't. Is it? it what? Well, it's something that's not English. Look, look it up there and see if you can if you can figure out what what, what language it is, or what what script it is anyway. Okay. Um, you see, my immediate thoughts are Russian, but then when I look at some of those upside down Y's, I'm thinking not. That's not an upside down Y. It's a lambda. Uh, oh, you Greek? Oh, there's pi in there. It's Greek. It's Greek. Yeah, I didn't see pi. I did not see pi. Um, why on earth is your name in Greek? It's that's not my name. Why on earth is there a Greek thing there? Because um, I think it's really funny. Oh, like as in what the words are? Yes. Oh, do you want to do you want to tell me? Because I'm not. I can't read Greek. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's, it's, it's a little Easter egg for for any of my Facebook friends. <laughs> Hang on. Can we not just copy and? Oh, I can't just copy and paste it. So, how do you type Greek into Google uh, Translate? If you if you select Greek. As the uh, language you're translating from, there might be like a, a manual kind of input for the Hellenic script. There is, yeah. Apologies, listeners. This has to be done. Uh, God damn it. But this, this, man, this better be worded. It might not be. <laughs> uh, okay. I just think it's funny. Oh, man. I have to keep flicking by the pages. Is that a capital Pi, the thing that starts off? Doesn't matter. Why does it like, not matter? It, it is, but it, it doesn't matter. It's just, It's just a... Pi, like the capital doesn't come into it. Oh, I know, but I need to know like what that character is. Oh, I get you. Yeah. Type it in. Uh, it's a lambda. I O P. Just, just translate the first word. Uh, okay. K. Where, where in the name? Where is a what? Where's a K? Oh, there's a K. There's a K. We're okay. Disaster averted. 
I'm sorry, this is so slow. Hold on. T N sickle. <laughs> is that a sick what? Is that I, I I'm getting I don't know if I've inputted this right, but I'm getting besieger. Yeah. Yeah, that tells me nothing. Like what what? That that's the the name that Poliorketos means besieger. Okay. Yeah. Oh, like that's a person's name. Well, it's like it's like an honorific, I think. Okay. And so is the second one Bill? No. What's the second one? I'm not telling you. <laughs> <You're so good. laughs> God damn! All right. Okay. I'm. Go- but it, it's kind of it's kind of another honorific. All right. I, 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 I'm going to have to do this. I'll cut all this, but I I, I my. Okay. If, 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 will you cut this? I'll tell you. I'll tell you off air. Oh, why is it rude? Not exactly. Well, a little. But ah, kinda, the, the, like... fir- the first two letters of that second word cup is miss. I like it. <laughs> uh, okay, I will... No, I won't. I want to keep some of this. Hold on. Let me let me go through this. Right, I need two lambdas. Just bear it me here there, Bill. Oh, oh, what's happening? Nurseries, it says. No. <laughs> well, not true. Uh... Oh, eh, man, every letter adds something beautiful. Look, I put in another letter and it became artistic. What happens when I pull in the pie? Here we go. Ready, ready, ready. Catapus. <laughs> uh, U, and that becomes Calippo. Calipagos. What the fuck in the name of Christ? <laughs> oh, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't actually. And then sickle. It's sickle time, Bill. Peanut butter sickle time. Sickle time. Uh, yeah, Cal- Calipagos. Okay, so it doesn't actually translate into modern Greek. Okay, that's fine. Now, what is a Calipagos? I'm not telling you. Oh, Bill. Oh, God, I hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. Okay, anyhow, shall we move on? Tell me after the show, okay? (laughs) God, uh, okay. Uh, Do you have anything else to add and follow up there, Bill? This is actually a nice segue. Oh, is it? From the Greek. Oh, uh, no, yeah. I was going to cut that and put it at the start of the show, and now we're going to have to leave the big awkward bit in the middle, and ah. Oh. No, you're not. No, you're not. Just do, do whatever. We can, you can cut out the fact that it's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, that's, that's crazy talk. <laughs> so one of my mates who has been listening to us suggested that we, we talk about this. We might um, do this uh, a bit more so in, in another episode, but he pointed out how Plato was a world builder. Oh, I've never heard of this before. Okay, Plato's Republic. Have you ever read that? Uh, I haven't read it. I know vaguely what that is. Do you want to enlighten me? So it's an account. It's by uh, Socrates. And it's an account of um, a discussion that Socrates and Plato and a bunch of other uh, Greek dudes had um, about how to make a perfect society. So it's it's like a spoken thought experiment where they construct an ideal or in, in their by their values, an ideal society, which is effectively world-building. Like, they come up with what the rules would be and how everything would function and... Oh, that's like how epic. to Yeah, how to um, make the society kind of fair and, how, like, the mythologies they would use to, to teach people the lessons and things. Oh, wow, they go deep as well. Yeah, that's... oh, yeah, very deep, very, very deep. Have, um, you, have you read Plato's Republic? Um, I read probably about two-thirds of it, and... I found it very, very interesting, but they kept talking about how this would be an ideal and just and fair society, and it was entirely founded on deceiving the citizens. (laughs) 
And that just really annoyed me. And I was like, well, I'm not going to read. This is, this is awful. This is morally abhorrent. And so I stopped. Okay. All right. Because my next question was going to be, how good was their society? <laughs> Clearly not that good. No, entirely, entirely based around deceiving people. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? How do you mean deceiving people? Like, we are we are deceived constantly in, in our society. Um, like, like NSA and all of that stuff that was going on in America. Like, that's based on, you know, hiding things from, from citizens. Yeah, but it's not, not kind of the same so, sort of outright lies. Basically, what they had was they would not allow people to have children automatically or a thing that would have to be won you'd have, you'd, or you'd have to um, you'd have to either earn it or win it in a lottery but the lotteries were all going to be rigged so that only the best soldiers would get the, the right to breed oh jeez yeah no well, why why would they think this because isn't this whole like population control like it's a modern thing why back then did they want population control or, or they just want selective breeding yeah they just want to, oh. so that only the, the, the best soldiers have children so that they yeah, would no, be really no good bueno. soldiers no bueno. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think that. Anything else that's a, uh, apparent about their uh, society? Uh, it's four or five years since I read it, and that's that's the one thing that really stuck out to me. Okay. All right. Oh, that's interesting. I, I did not know that. That's the cool. city was called Calipolis. Calipolis, rather. Calipolis. Oh, is this to do with your Facebook name? The route, the first route there is um, is is the same, I think, yeah. The Cali. Okay, I, 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 do you want to explain what this word means? Um, or is it really filthy and we should leave it No, out? no, no, it's, it's, not, it's not filthy. It's not, that's not filthy at all. It, mean, it means uh, beautiful, I think. So, oh, okay, okay. For example, um, another, another Greek name, Greek nom de plume that, that I, uh, I like is uh, Calicates or Calicates. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, which means beautiful and strong, um, oh. which was used by writer Haggard in the She novels. The main character is a reincarnation of an, an ancient Greek called Callicrates. And in the the events that sparked the Trojan War, uh, the goddess of discord Eris threw a golden apple into Mount Olympus, and on it was written Callisti, which means for the most beautiful. And the three goddesses fought over who it was intended for, and they asked Paris to decide which the most beautiful was, and... Somehow that's I can't remember exactly how, but that started the that started the the Trojan War because Paris gave the wrong answer and the a huh. war started. That that's really cool. Yeah. God, you're so, so knowledgeable. It's crazy. Yeah, but it's all it's all useless stuff like that. <laughs> no, no, there is no such thing as useless knowledge. Not a chance. It's class. I I really enjoy uh, talking to you. I always learn something new. It's good. Of course you do. I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. Alright. Okay. Uh so we might discuss that further. At so, at the some stage. It sounds like that was Trojan be... War. No, not the Trojan War. Or unless you want to talk about the Trojan War, but Plato. Don't know anything about the Trojan War. Yeah, oh yeah, to come back to that as, as a topic, that might be interesting. I mean I suppose I could reread um reread Republic. And I'm sure I'm sure other um philosophers have done this as well. I think um um, yeah, I think I think Hobbes does something similar in Leviathan, which was about um, it's where he comes up with the idea that a, a society should act a certain way, and it's not it's not just the kind of a, a total state of nature thing, social contract stuff like that. And I think I think he uses a bit of world building type speculation in that. Cool, really cool. To, um, to explain his ideas. How how easy is it to read Plato's Republic? Quite easy. Oh, it's not a big, dense, archaic language sort of thing. Not, not that I recall. No, I, okay. I, I don't remember it being that difficult. And is it big? Is it? Is it? How big is it? 
not very, a few hundred pages, I think. Okay, all right. Well, it might be it might be thing where maybe both of us could read it, and we might have a topic on that in the uh, in the sure. future. That sounds. Sure. Re- I, I'd be really interested in reading that. It's also it's also quite funny because it is written just like a dialogue. So it's dudes out on the porch or whatever having a chat and with their shotgun and their swing. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Except you know, it's it's the it's Hellenic Greek, so it's more like with their slaves and olive oil. Um, <laughs> and there is a bit where they they stop and they like someone addresses a guy over on the other side of the square. He's like, "Hey, you there, fellow oiling yourself?" And they ask him a question. This sounds great. I I, I look forward to that. That'd be really cool. Really cool. So we received a lot of emails. We did loads. I think yeah. like. We might have, like, doubled our email intake. Mm. Well, no, not quite. Not quite, but we got lots. Yeah, way more than last time. So I want to thank everyone for emailing. That's really cool. Keep it coming. Like, any sort of things you want to mention, like future topics, um, stuff to do in world building Q&A, drop us an email and we'll try and mention it on, on a podcast. Sure. So there's two emails in particular I want to talk about before mm-hmm. we move on to something else. Um, Rose M wrote us an email. Which was really interesting because she asks, uh, would I ever write down, like, produce a written world-building guide? And this is interesting because this is, like, my sort of ambition to do. My big dream is to write a, uh, to write a book, a world-building book. And I, 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 just, just, I just wanted to bring that up because it was kind of weird having someone else throw my kind of dream back at me. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yes, this is this is a thing I've wanted to do since I was, like, really young. So maybe at some stage I might try and self-publish a book. Sure. But that's going to be a Herculean task, and I don't know if I'm going to be up to it. But it is something I'm hugely interested in. So that was that was one email. Another email came from uh, Lupier, uh, who has been, been on the show before, I believe. Oh, yes, he's our black metal guy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or or just maybe just metal. Maybe if I say black metal, that'd be bad. Metal. Why? I don't know. Allegiances, genre allegiances, I don't know. Our our music lover, our resident music lover. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our um, music neighbour. I don't know, this is terrible. It's an awful transition, Jesus Christ. So we received an email from Lupier, and there was one thing in it I, I want to address. He asks about He asks about the number of planets per star. Okay. And is there any formula or any law that says how many planets a star should have. Um, right. So so I can answer this really quickly. The answer is, I believe, no. I have never come across anything. But a general rule of thumb, contrary to what most people think, is that the smaller the star, like the, if it has a low mass, it can have more planets. Yeah, that okay? makes sense. Because star, like, stars account for a huge portion of a system in terms of mass. So the smaller the star is the more stuff there is left over to produce planets. So with supermassive stars, there's even more stuff swallowed up in them, so you're expecting less planets. Uh, so Lupier, there's no kind of formula, there's no golden rule or anything, just high-low mass sort of thing is the only thing to watch out for. Yeah. Obviously, if there's everything is in the star to make the star really big, there isn't stuff left over to make the planets. That's... Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive at first because you'd think a larger star would have more gravity to attract more stuff. But when you consider how they're made, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. Like the star will just eat up all the stuff in the protoplanetary disk if it's a huge, huge star. 
So yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a really cool question. And as I, I like the space, so it's good to answer these questions. Now, we received several emails about topics where, where we may cover in the future. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention those because they've been archived and they're in my like to- Artifexian podcast topic folder. Um, Brilliant. So, so if we don't mention you, uh, we've, we've read it and you've been archived and we might talk about it at a future, at a future date. So keep the emails coming, guys, and um, they, they really help make the show very, very good, you know? So, do you want to go into flag corner? Uh, sure, why not? I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what you have waiting for me here. Okay, so we mentioned last time that we're going to talk more about flags and have a little flag corner. Um, I decided to call it flag corner because, let's face it, the best thing to do here is just point out the, like, the atrocities that exist out there in the world and mock and ridicule them briefly before we go on to the main topic okay so the flag of for today is uh the infamous flag of brown county nebraska i'm googling it you're googling it. i'll put this in the show notes for everyone but it be when you find it bill if you could try and describe it to the listener that would be awesome Oh, this one. This one. Okay, so for, for flag, flag enthusiasts, flag enthusiasts will know this flag because it's usually seen as like the antichrist of all flags. But I don't think normal people, in quotes, would know this. So do you want to describe it there, Bill? Okay, it is um, a white rectangle. It is. With uh, in vertical sort of um, boldface letters in green, brown county written on the left-hand side. And, yeah. I, and I say it's vertical, so it's B-R-O-W-N, you're reading, like, up, down. Up and down. Bottom. Not horizontal. Vertically no. aligned text. Vertically aligned text. <laughs> um, is that, like, a is that like a, a thing of corn or something beside it? Yeah, that's... A little yeah. black silhouette of corn? Or yeah, a little bushel. A cowboy? Of, little bushel of corn, yeah. <laughs> little bushel of corn. Then there's a sort of grey field in the middle with um, what I assume is, like, the shape of the county. Yes. Um... One black line going across it, curved black line, which I guess is the road, uh, and three place names on it. One of which again is vertically aligned in and, green text. And also, do you recognise the typeface? The Comic Sans. Uh, it's I. I believe it's Comic Sans. Yeah. Jesus. Mm, um, and then so three place names written here. I assume they're place names: Johnstown, Ainsworth, and Long Pine. One of them is vertically aligned, Johnsworth. The other two aren't. In the bottom right of this brown area, there are three cows in silhouette. Yep. Um, now, moving on into the final, like, maybe quarter, and the, the rightmost, uh, we're getting in a sort of a field of white, at the top of which there's a sort of blurry silhouette of some pine trees. Yep. At the bottom, there's one of those antique windmills. There is, and then? Again, in silhouette. And then, in green, vertical text, 1883, the numerals, <laughs> which I guess is the, the founding and like the thing that gets me as well like everything is wrong with this flag there's nothing right about this flag but like just three separate typefaces three separate typefaces was that what you were going to say yeah (laughs) it's just awful and then one of them is comic sans as well it's like oh lord and like if you look at the the brown county like the letters yeah the owen brown is like different to the owen county it is. and But they're the same typeface, and I don't understand how they did that. They just put the, that single letter in a different typeface. Like, I, how like how this passed any sort of committee? Like, I, I do not know. Are you, you all right there, man? I'm clapping. 
Oh, you're giving it a round of applause. Round of one man round of applause. <laughs> so, uh, so people on Reddit have found this flag of Brown County and have began Brown Countifying various other flags from around the world. Oh, how did I miss this? Uh, this is glorious. So there is, there's one, if you Google, I, I imagine if you Google Brown County, North Korea. All right, so so this is like, I'll put this in the show notes, but this is like Brown County, is in that the vertical text on the left is Korea and then DPRK. Mm-hmm. So the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And then you have Korea in the same horrible brown with, with uh, Comic Sans letters outlining the various cities. And then like stereotypical blurry low pixel images of stuff that we associate with Korea around it. And then 1936 on the right hand side. And it's glorious. Absolutely glorious. I, oh, there's one thing I really, I really like it. Nice little bit of attention to detail here. Oh, is there? Oh, what is it? What are the what are the, the cities named on the flag? Um, Hamhung, Pyongyang, Seoul, and Busan. Busan, yeah. Busan, yeah. Well, what's the attention to detail here? Seoul and Busan are in South Korea. <laughs> but of course, that's not recognised by North Korea. They claim the entire peninsula. Oh, okay, all right, okay, that, that, that's less funny. I thought someone just went, uh, just, uh, whatever, just all of that is North Korea, it's fine. Like, just- no, no, I think, I think that, that's even better. I think it's even better because it's like acknowledging the, the claim, the territorial, it's acknowledging the existence of that dispute. Because <laughs> you know, it, it would be low rent to just take a map of North Korea's actual like, controlled territory. This is, this is a much kind of, much cleverer interpretation. It, it is glorious, I although I think you're reading into it a bit too much. I don't think so at all. Like, because uh, Seoul isn't in North Korea. I, I did look at that and go, wait a minute. That's definitely not in North Korea. And I was like, maybe there's another one. And then like, I looked at it for a bit and went, that's not how North Korea is shaped. And I was very confused. I thought, oh, I'll just leave it before I make a fool of myself. So thank you for bringing that up. And now I know what's going on. There we go. There <laughs> and we and go. So, so people have like brown counterfeit Spain as well and like it's it's equally as horrible big kingdom of spain down the left hand side 1492 on the right hand side i'm seeing one for finland here there's some brown bears on it <laughs> oh, that was rather lovely one second now uh i haven't seen this brown county one for cgp gray i've seen that one for cgp gray i think that's brilliant and the attention to detail again is really good at it mm-hmm Oh, for uh, Brown County, Finland, I'm getting um, lots of very odd pictures. Very odd. What is what is this guy? Do? Ooh, okay, I'm all right. Uh, how? What did you Google to get that? I uh, it just came up as one of the other suggestions beside Korea. Like the picture itself was there, and I I recognised it as Finland. Oh, I can't find it. A guy oh, in a kilt barbecuing. A guy in a what? Oh, oh no, he's not barbecuing. He's he's forging something. I googled Brown County, Finland, and one of the pictures is a, a guy, a shirtless dude in a kilt and tartan slippers, working a forge. Is your Google different than mine? Probably. <laughs> well, there you go. That answers that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see him. Ah, oh, what a boss! Look at him go. That's fantastic. Uh, oh boy, Bill. There's going to be a lot of outtakes from this episode. So anyhow, in spirit, uh, in the spirit of what the internet has done by brown counterfying various flags, I decided to brown counterfy our flag. 
Oh, amazing. So that is the thing I sent you in Facebook chat. Do you want to open it up? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to explain to the listeners and maybe explain some of the, like the in jokes to them? Okay. um, (laughs) So we've got a brown outline of Ireland. We do. Of the, of the island of Ireland. Mm Mm-hmm. And down in green, bold text on the side, it says Republic of Ireland, vertically aligned. Then there's a picture of a leprechaun from The Simpsons floating above Sligo somewhere. So um, the, the northwest of the of the of the country. Of the country. Then south of that, um, between Galway and Clare, which is kind of just off the middle of the west coast, there is a rain cloud symbol. Because it's constantly raining in in Ireland. In the west, certainly. Um, yeah, actually, that's true. Actually, as we speak... Not in the sunny southeast, where it uh, has just stopped raining, actually. <laughs> uh, as we speak now, I'm looking out my window, and it is, like, torrential downpour. <laughs> it is really bad. Okay, so rain, and then what else we got? Okay, so we've got Galway, Dublin, and Cork um, picked out in Comic Sans. Green text with, with white border. Uh, Galway is vertically aligned. And uh, um, I, 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 just to point out some of my design decisions, I deliberately chose to have the text of Galway not all fit on the browned area, so the stroking of the letters looks really odd. What's the stroking? As in the white bit around it. So the white bit is hidden when it's on the white background. Oh, yeah. So yeah, the G looks different from the all-way part. Yeah. Now, f- off the right coast, up around, um, up in kind of the north... East, we've uh, near Belfast. We've got a packet of Tato. Uh, do you want to explain this to uh, like the American listeners? It's it's Ireland's kind of national potato crisp, <laughs> potato <laughs> chips, as you call them. And in, it's in become America. it's become such a cultural th- thing that we don't very 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 often we don't refer to crisps as crisps. They're Tatoes. Yeah. So any any brand of of uh, crisped potato snack is a Tato. It's Tato because we, this brand is so yeah. like embedded in our culture. Then, um, then down kind of between Louth and Wexford, uh, we've got a large pint of Guinness off the kind of middle of the east coast for for obvious reasons. And then down <laughs> around the um, the point of Ross Lair, which the the bottom the was the southeast corner of the country, we've got uh, what I assume is a potato. It, it is a potato, and it's hard to tell because of the blur that I had to follow yeah. when doing brown. It could just be a rock. It could, um, it could. And then in green text down the right-hand side, we've got 1937. What's the, the significance of 37? Um, it's Well, this was tricky. I actually had to do some research while making this last night. It's when Ireland first became Ireland. I believe. In what sense? In the sense that it, uh, 1937 was the year in which we had our second constitution, and I believe that's where the term Ireland was first used, because before that it was the free state. In the 22 constitution, I think? Yeah. But was there is the Republic of Ireland not the, the 48 or 40, 40 something? Oh, is it? Is the, it? The Republic of Ireland Act was 48. So. Oh, no, maybe okay. maybe there's something in between. That's that's when I thought that this, the free state ended. There might be something in between. You see, when I was looking this up, to be honest, I don't really know that much about Irish history. I know it's a terrible thing to say, but not really. There's so many points you could take as a year that could go on a Brown County Irish flag. Like you could yeah. easily take 1922, and that's huge significance. You could take 1916, and it also has significance. No, you couldn't. 
Well, you could. No, you couldn't. Well, you could. How could you? It has nothing to do with the formation of Ireland, but it's an emotive date in the history of us co- becoming a nation. But well, we didn't become a nation. The no, no, we didn't become... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But really it's like, badly. <laughs> yeah, but you know the way, like, next year in, 2000, in 2016, we're going to be celebrating that? Yeah. Like, it's a cultural thing, so it could be there as a cultural date. I don't know. Like, no, I, I, I get that it's not the best date to put there, but you could put it there if you're going to make a terrible flag. Hmm. Um, do you want to explain, actually, sorry, again to the US listeners, do you want to explain 1916 briefly so they know what we're on about? So there was an uprising in Dublin on uh, Easter Monday 1916 when the Irish Republican Brotherhood took over the General Post Office, which is in the centre of Dublin, a large, large building in the centre of Dublin and is still there. Very nice um, building. Lovely building and still has bullet holes from the 1916 Rising. Which is something we are going to talk about in the green room. Cool. And as well as Boland's Mills and a couple of other buildings. I can't remember where else. Boland's Mills is the only other main one I remember. And it failed horrifically. And was actually really unpopular with the Irish people at the time. Until the leaders of the Rising were uh, executed. And that generated a lot of sympathy in Ireland. The the ones that were captured were, were, were executed. And the... The way manner in which they executed really dis- disgusted a lot of the the Irish people and uh, made a lot of support for the Republican movement. The the manner in which they were executed, like how were they executed? Uh, well, they were they were all shot, but one of them was very very sick and wasn't able to stand before the firing squad, so he was tied to a chair and shot. That's obviously appalling, right? But just a little comment here: it, it, when people go like you know the manner in which someone is executed is is appalling it's like yeah but execution is appalling yeah i i, I don't i don't really get the the emotive thing there either personally i mean yeah it makes like no they, sense. they shot him like it doesn't matter does it really matter that he was sitting down when they shot him yeah exactly, exactly. Like, were they going to wait for him to get healthy before they shot him <laughs> like the the end product is this death in any case like yeah you know so yeah. um and to finish describing this flag anyway um <laughs> Then in in Ireland itself, in, in the island itself, sort of watermarked into the brown, there is a picture of our former rugby international player Brian O'Driscoll, affectionately known as Bod Almighty. He's a he's a he's a, a bit of a hero among Irish sports fans. And uh, in front of Bod, there is a cup of tea. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's an impressive that's that's a really well brownified flag of Ireland. There's. I, I didn't do the thing with with the North Korea thing. I didn't acknowledge the fact that the Republic of Ireland is not the entirety of Ireland. Yeah. And also, uh, oh, oh, uh, according to CGB Grey, um, the Ireland is not called the Republic of Ireland. Well, like the name of the country isn't Republic of Ireland. The yeah, name it, is just Ireland. It's but Ireland, it is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's called it kind of like casually because to distinguish it. Which I wonder, which is more in the spirit of Brown County, writing Republic of Ireland or Ireland, which is more kind of wrong. Uh, well, no, I think it's Brown County, which is like the division. So I think Republic of Ireland kind of makes sense as well because it is the, the Republic, if you know. It's like acknowledging the administrative level of of that geographic designation. <laughs> that was, that's the most intellectual like response to a question about how to like how to like sully the Irish flag by making it brown county. <laughs> oh, Bill, your gas.
Yep. All right. So every month we will we will hopefully come back with a terrible flag and discuss about it and do stuff. I'm not guaranteed I'm going to shop, Photoshop every month. Um, but you never know. <laughs> right. So uh, that's the end of Flag Corner. Shall we move on to our main topic? Let's move on to our main topic. Okay. So for today's main topic, we talk we talk about Dyson spheres. Excellent. Uh, which is a topic suggested by uh, Rehorse via email. So I suppose the first place to start would be um, defining what a Dyson Sphere is. Do you want to give it a pop? Okay, so a Dyson Sphere is a structure built entirely around a star. Yes. So uh, uh, a sphere, as implied by the name, built around a star in order to collect the total energy output of the star. Right, exactly. The original was... I mean, it's named after Freeman Dyson. I Freeman Dyson, yeah. Remember, or seem to remember and or assume. And his idea was to build it at kind of one astronomical unit. So the current distance of the Earth from the Sun uh, to keep kind of the energy absorbed about the same. Yeah. As we're currently used to. And then populate the inside of it. Yes, uh, it was proposed by Freeman Dyson in a somewhat speculative paper. Uh, I believe, I believe in the thirties. I could be wrong about that. You were um, born in nineteen twenty-three, so not in the thirties. Prob- probably not in the thirties. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was some somewhere near the middle of um, middle of the twentieth century. Yeah, and um, the cool thing, a bit of trivia here, is that he hates his association with the Dyson Sphere. Oh, really? Yeah, he doesn't like it at all. Because I suppose if you're a serious scientist, you don't really want to be remembered for something that's, like, speculative. Yeah. You know, so that's a little bit of trivia there. Um, Any guesses, Bill, as to why one would build a Dyson Sphere? To take the entire energy output of the star. Yeah, okay, so obviously... the construction of a Dyson sphere, there's a couple of kind of prerequisites that need to come. Yeah. Um, one is that, remember we talked about the Kardashev scale? Yeah. One is that you have to be two on the Kardashev scale. Or building it would be achieving two on the Kardashev scale, maybe. Exactly, yeah. So it, yeah. it's not really feasible for like our civilization, our society at our current tech level to do so. No. And, and the reasons for doing it would be a couple of things like... If we assume population growth grows exponentially the way it is doing now, eventually it's going to make sense that you're going to have to build some sort of superstructure to be able mm. to power a civilization of like you know trillions of people and give them living space. Mm-hmm. That's that's one kind of prerequisite. Another prerequisite would be that the star is the best source of energy power, which is not entirely you know true. You know, but you know if you've got a massive pre-made functioning fusion generator hanging there, why not use it? Well, exactly. But what if, say, a, an advanced society comes up with a way of generating energy locally that is cheaper to do? Because, I mean, there's a huge cost in building a Dyson Sphere to gla- gather energy from a star. Yeah. So that's, that's an assumption there that has to be made. Like, Dyson Spheres will happen if a civilization can't come up with an energy source that's more attainable. Mm-hmm. And then also another assumption, and this is very speculative, is that there's no FTL technology. 
Because if there's FDL technology, you can just start populating people around other stars, and you don't need to come up with a way of only only if you're specifically talking from the overpopulation point of view. You mean you might still want to gather all of that, that right. energy? Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a yeah. slightly more nuanced, but there are certain considerations. Like like people just don't go. It's just like civilizations don't just go Dyson sphere. You know, there's sort of there's a kind of build up to it. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing I found out while researching this. Oh, and I want to state. Um, speculative engineering is not my forte. I just want to make that clear from the start. I'll do my best to try and explain what I th- know about Dyson Spheres and what I've uncovered, but my sort of nuts and bolts lies in sort of the physical creation of, of worlds in my world building, you know? Mm-hmm. So what I've uncovered is that the Dyson Sphere, like you mentioned, and the way everyone thinks about a Dyson Sphere as being a solid shell encasing a star, is, is not viable. Okay. All right. And everyone assumes that this is what Dyson meant, a solid shell of material encasing the star to gather energy and provide living space. But he was actually referring to something more akin to like a swarm around a star, a swarm of like individual satellites, not a solid shell. Okay. But then either like tons and tons of them or very large ones or both. Or both, yeah, exactly, yeah. You basically just try and swarm the entire star and encase it, but the key here here is that it's not solid. It's not one solid continuous structure. The reason for this is that, well, first of all, in our solar system, it's it's borderline impossible to build that sort of structure at one AU distance from the star. There's just not enough material. There's just not enough material. It's it's been estimated that, uh, and I have the figures here, that there is 1.82 times 10 to 26 kilograms of suitable building material in the solar system. Right. Right? And that's including, like, the core of giant planets. So really hard-to-access stuff. If you were to take all of that stuff and somehow mine it and use it, you'd come up with a Dyson sphere, a solid Dyson sphere, about 8 to 20 centimeters thick, which is not going to work. Hmm. So it it requires, a solid Dyson sphere requires 8, ton of material and most systems probably won't have it that's the first problem second problem is that if you do build something that's solid it's likely to implode due to like compressive forces so it's not going to stay as a solid hollow sphere it's just going to you know break apart what do you mean what what are compressive forces now what's compressing it Uh, itself okay yeah so it's just it's just too much matter and it's just all going to just like clump together and just break apart Um, Mm. also it's it's liable to drift so if it gets nudged by, like, say, a meteor or a comet or there's some sort of gravitational tug, it's likely to start drifting. And then eventually, if it starts drifting, it's just going to start. It's going to drift into the star and then blow up. Yeah. So you have to constantly stabilize it. Well, so overall, it's just it's a really bad idea. And well, you do. I mean, some of those problems are mitigated by the fact that you do have constant access to a vast amount of power. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there's yeah. The, the, the upshot of it is a huge upshot. Yeah, but it's very, very difficult to achieve a solid sphere. Is the is the point I'm making? Um, yeah, and I, another problem is the habitability issue. We, I think, a lot of people when they think Dyson spheres, they think that it's they function like a hollow Earth sort of thing. Yeah, where you can just have land masses on everywhere on the interior of a sphere, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's the it's going to be reduced to what's known as a Niven ring. After Larry Niven, I believe the author. Of Ringworld, yeah. Of Ringworld, exactly. So if the sphere is spinning, right, because you have to g- generate some sort of gravity 
Otherwise, all you're going to do is drift into the sun. So if the sphere is uh, spinning, the the only place that's habitable that will produce enough gravity for humans to stick to the surface will be uh, around the equator of Mm -hmm. the sphere. Um, And so you're only going to have a really thin band of habitability on a Dyson sphere and everything else is just solar collection. So it's great in terms of like getting energy from the start, but not good at providing uh, living space. Well, I mean... It's still pretty good at providing living space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course. Like, it, it, it's probably going to house, like, it might house, like, trillion, trillions of people. But, like, in terms of overall percentage of surface area, it's, it's like, shockingly low. Yeah. You know? Um, so, this is the problem with the Dyson Sphere, as people generally know. It's not a great structure. And people speculate that if we are to find like level two civilizations that have built such structures, they will never be solid spheres. They're going to be what's known as Dyson swarms or Dyson bubbles. Oh, and what's a bubble then? Um, So, right. So a bubble is if we imagine our Dyson sphere, okay? Yeah. And instead of being solid, it's just, it's made up of a a swarm of of satellites. Mm -hmm. And these satellites will be like solar collectors and like space habitats. Okay. Right. And they're going to be, actually satellite's the wrong word. It's not satellite, it's a statite. So this is a satellite that is not in orbit, but is held stationary in space. Okay. All right. And so you basically encase uh, this star, a star in like a bubble of these statites. And that's what a Dyson bubble is. So it's like a Dyson sphere, except not one contiguous surface. Okay. All right. Um. And that works better and you lose all of the problems of like the impossibility to build. I mean, it doesn't take that, it doesn't take half as much matter Mm -hmm. because it's not contiguous. Um, It's not going to implode under compressive forces. It's not going to drift into the star. The habitability can be anywhere because you're building space habitats. So a bubble is much more likely. And in fact, this is what uh, Freeman Dyson was actually referring to in his paper. Right. He never referred to a solid shell, a Dyson shell. Um, so I don't know where that's come out of, but it seems to have been embedded in the sort of um, sci-fi zeitgeist of the time that it was solid and it's not. And what? Sorry, what? What's holding the statites in place? Yeah. So they. So if you imagine, like, you have like a space habitat. Yeah. Yeah. And then on either side, you'd have like giant light sails. Okay. Yeah. And so it's it's like not like being statically held in place it's being kind of dynamically held in place yeah yeah so well, what happens okay. is you they balance you balance the tug of gravity inwards with the radiation pressure outwards okay so you're in this sort of like gravitational like dance and the idea yeah. is that you you are held stable because if you have like a swarm of satellites that are orbiting then then it gets really messy because then like various satellites could perturb other satellites and there's like collisions and it's very 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 like unstable so you really need to have this idea of this bubble you know Mm -hmm. and pros to this bubble and i really want to sell this idea of people no longer thinking about dyson spheres as being solid pros to this bubble is that you have incremental construction which is maybe not immediately apparent but it's a huge benefit yeah so like even if you put up one solar collector you're still collecting power yeah. You know, and then you can use that to power the next solar collector and so on and so forth. And so society gets like incremental benefits from it. They don't have to wait for the entirety of the structure to be finished. Okay. So it's overall better 
there are flaws with it. And one of the flaws is that uh, it's estimated that the material uh, that we'd have to build these light sails and these statites out of will would have to be very, very, like, low density. Yeah. Um, and it's something like, something akin to, like, a speculative type of, like, carbon nanotubing. So right. we have, we've, we've, as a civilization, we've yet to be able to manufacture a material of a density that is suitable to build a Dyson sphere. And I don't think we're anywhere close, you know? Hold on, just to pick up on your, your previous point. Yeah, you of course. Don't need, you don't need a Dyson sphere, like the kind of classical understanding of one, sci-fi understanding of one, um, where it's solid, to be fully, completely finished to access its benefits. Like, as long as you have the Dyson ring. Yeah, but you need the entirety of the ring. Do you? Well, yeah, because you're going to have to spin the thing to produce centrifugal force. Because hmm. it's not—it's not a satellite. You, you need to have something spinning, but you don't need to have it entirely finished. Hmm. And no, you mean you can—you could like live like in like structures on the on the surface of it, it, it like before it's it's spinning. You wouldn't necessarily need the gravity. But what, but you need the gravity to pin things down. Not if you're inside a thing. Not if you're inside a box. Okay, yeah, yeah, but then what you've done is you've created like a space habitat. You haven't created yeah. like you haven't you haven't like terraformed the inside of the shell, which I think is what most people think of. Yeah, but you you still get to access some of the benefits. Which yeah, is the point I'm making. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, but nowhere yeah. near nowhere near as much as with the bubble, I think, because it's a lot cheaper to build like a single satellite and use that yeah. as opposed to like building bits of a ring. Yeah, you know, um, I, I I take your point completely. I, the bubble is is better, I think, in my in my in my in my estimation. You know, mm-hmm. um, are there any works of fiction? Because I know Dyson sh- shells. Actually, just to get our terminology right, the classical Dyson sphere we're, we're going to call a Dyson shell. Okay, that's the the solid. That's the solid one, and then okay. the one comprised of these statites we're called the bubble. Okay. Um, are there any works of fiction that use a bubble? Because I know, like, there's been Star Trek episodes that use the shell. That use a bubble? That is a good question. Yeah, I, I can't think of one immediately. And this, is, I think, is the problem, because everyone goes, oh, Dyson Sphere is always solid, and that's not right. I wonder. Nothing comes to mind. I wonder if anyone in the Reddit uh, can think of anything. I'd be interested in finding out, because I couldn't uncover anything. I couldn't uncover anything at all. Um, I'll have a quick Google, but... Bill and his Google foo. I just type fast. Typing fast and multitasking. Uh, something I cannot do. The kids are always amazed at how fast I type. And I like hunt and peck. Really? Yeah, I, I can't um, speed type. Huh. Yeah, like the idea of putting my fingers on the home keys and looking at the screen. Like, uh, I, I don't understand how people... No, I don't, I don't put them on the, ho- on, the, on the home keys. Do you look at the screen? I look at the screen, yeah. Oh, yeah, see, I, I can't do it. I have to look at my fingers. I put my fingers on... Well, it, it kind of it kind of varies. Maybe they are sometimes... Sometimes they're on where I, where I game. So, like, ASD. Yeah. For gaming. And sometimes they're um, on middle finger on T, index finger on H, ring finger on E. Because like, there is a word you type loads, and it's kind of one that naturally came up when I used to write a lot when I was a teenager. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. No, I, I do two index fingers and poke at it from from a distance. <laughs> um, 
Let's see. I'm not finding anything. Nope. I'm not finding anything on um, TV tropes, and the uh, Wikipedia on Dyson Sphere doesn't seem to have much about the distinction being used in fiction. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I don't know. There, there's got to be something. There's got to be something because, like, if there's anything sci-fi writers are good at, is kind of getting their hard uh, science right. Hold on. Oh, we have in something. The novel Accelerando by Charles Stross. I might have that here somewhere. Oh no way. Yeah, I think I think well, I think my brother might own that. I might be in, somewhere in the room. Um, a Dyson swarm, possibly a Dyson bubble of computronium, forms a massive Matryoshka brain around the sun. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna top up that brain. We're gonna move on second. to this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Providing a virtual space for trillions of uploaded human minds and corporate AI. Actually, well, while we while we're at it, let's just talk about that. Well, I call the Matryoshka brain. I could be totally totally wrong. I have no, I have idea. no idea. I've, I've only ever seen it written. So we can use Dyson bubbles or Dyson shells to collect energy, like we just stated, mm-hmm. and to provide living space. But also, depending on how you use the energy, the sort of type of Dyson sphere changes. If you use the energy you collect to run computers, you run a thing called a Matryoshka brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, like you mentioned there, um, the kind of common use for it is that societies build matryoshka brains so they can upload their minds into virtual reality. Yeah. Which is a, I believe one of the possible uh, solutions to the Fermi paradox. Like we don't see all the aliens because they're all sitting inside a Dyson sphere and they never travel out of it because they're uploaded into virtual reality. Which I think is, which I think is really cool and a very sci-fi solution to the uh, Fermi paradox. For sure. If you could, Bill, would you upload your brain into virtual reality? And forget the real world. I'd consent to having a copy taken. Like a backup? Or, not necessarily a backup, but like, um, take a version of me that then goes and does, it, does its own thing as well. That'd be kind of cool. Would you be able to interact with that version of you? Like, will you, will you know what your virtual self is experiencing? Or is that just, are you just giving no, birth? No, no, like, separated. Separated. Alright, where's the payoff for you then? I mean, there's not any in particular, but it'd be kind of cool. I suppose it's a nice idea. <laughs> I, um, I mean, from like a kind of an, an information theory point of view or whatever, you're not losing anything, but I'd still find it kind of weird. Yeah, I... Like, to, 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 to like be completely digitized, be completely like um, virtually realized and stop the functioning of my current brain. I mean, like, I can't think of any, like, specific objection to it, but it just, I do find it a bit kind of upsetting. Yeah, I think it's more sad, really. Because, I mean, there is, like, as far as we know, but one universe, you know? And kind of avoiding it, avoiding nature is a bit, is a bit weird, you know? To live in some, like, technical virtual paradise, it's, it, I don't know, it seems really strange. Not to be paradise. Well, I assume that a a civilization would design this virtual reality to to be a paradise, so people would willingly want to upload stuff. I, I get the dystopian sort of matrix sort of thing. I get that. Yeah. But if it's like a consenting upload. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think we automatically assume that a paradise is is going to be either kind of boring or kind of like all fun all the time or whatever. I'm sure there is a way to make something kind of that has a uh, convincing level of, of strife and difficulty in it to, to still be enjoyable. Yeah, you know? actually. And like, we like, will cause you to, 
to work for things and will give you setbacks, but will also give you rewards. And like that's 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 a. I mean, it's in a sense, it's an engineering problem, you know. That's a better sell, actually. I think I would upload if it wasn't just going to be all fine and dandy. If there was a challenge yeah. to it, you know, like yeah. like when when you play games, if the game has no challenge to it, there's no point playing, you know. Yeah. So I, I think so, or like, or maybe even if I, we were part of a civilization where we just understood everything, you know, we unified all the forces. We understood how nature works. We've studied everything. We've been around for billions and billions of years as a, as a civilization. Then maybe virtual reality is the next step because there's just nothing to do anymore. You yeah. know, before quantum physics started up, uh, they had that thing where they're like, "Science is over." <laughs> um, so it could it could actually get to a point where science might be over, like in billions of years. Like, just no, everyone knows everything, and then then virtual reality, and then you build a matryoshka brain, and you can achieve that. But you've still got humanities. Might you know, might be finished with the sciences, but then you still have to like exhaust all the humanities and arts. Yeah, but they're not real topics, though. <laughs> I joke. I joke. I joke. Yeah, you've got a degree in guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Oh, I'm, I'm a big liberal arts head. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's so. If you were to upload, you probably need to run a match Oscar brain because I mean, like the computational power used to like download a brain is is just huge um and i i think the only way of doing that is to you know be able to get a power from a star like on that level to be able to run it i don't know no not necessarily i mean we don't know how powerful computers would be by the time we'd be able to upload so maybe it wouldn't actually take all that energy yeah, but as well, there's a issue of multiplicity there as well i mean like there's a lot of people that potentially would want to upload Oh yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I just think it's it's a big claim to make. Am I making a generalized statement, Bill? No. Oh god. <laughs> so that's the Matryoshka brain. There's a couple of other cool things you can do with Dyson spheres or bubbles. Um, so, sorry, does a, does a Matryoshka brain have to be a Dyson sphere? Yes, it needs to. It needs that's to. It, by definition, it is okay. Oh, wait, hang on now. <laughs> Again, the terminology. Are you referring to the solid shell? No, no. I mean that it has to be a. Like a, a Dyson bubble or something, by definition. Okay. By definition is yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a variation on on a Dyson sphere bubble thing. Mm-hmm. Um, another variation is I believe it's called the Shakatov truster. Shakatov truster. Okay. Again, I I've only ever read these names. I have I've never said them out loud. Um, and this is this is kind of cool. I like this idea. If we imagine a star, right? Mm-hmm. And we've encased it in satellites. If we have the satellites being uniformly sp- spread around the sphere, around the star, okay? Okay. There's like the net like radiation output of the swarm is like null, right? There's no, there's no like additional output in any one area because it's all evenly spread. Okay. Right? Now, what you can do, which I, I only learned yesterday, and I think it's really cool, if you make your bubble asymmetrical, so like, say, maybe, I don't know, like the northern hemisphere of your star, the bit covering that, gathers more radiation than the southern bit, you produce a kind of, you produce radiation output that's not uniform. Yeah. And that manifests itself in trust, as in in movement. <laughs> so what you can do is you can like you literally build a like a gigantic like mach- like engine you build a trust 
uh, device. And mm-hmm. you can use this to move stars and solar systems through space, which is just mind-blowing. Like, it's great. Super. It's really, really cool. And uh, the Wikipedia has some cool stats on this. They're saying that if, you, if we built a Dyson bubble around our star and uh, we built it in a certain configuration, I'll leave links in the show notes uh, to the Wikipedia page on this. They're saying that after a million years of this bubble being set up in this asymmetrical fashion, you'll have moved about 0.03 light years. Wow. Uh, and you'll have achieved a speed of about 20 meters per second. That's pretty fast, in fairness. It is pretty fast. <laughs> no, no, well, it, it, well for, on a terrestrial level, it's very, very fast. But, like, on a cosmic level, like, you're going nowhere quick. And then after a billion years, it's an order of magnitude more. It's 20 kilometers per second. And then you'll have moved a third of the Milky Way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, remember back when we built Hand Wavy and Dagger? Yeah. Do you remember I built very low mass stars? Yeah. I always have a fondness of low mass stars because there's so much you can do with them because of the fact that they live for like in in, in some cases trillions of years. Mm-hmm. And this is a cool thing around low mass stars. Like if we look at the universe in you know, a couple of billion years and maybe a few aliens have sprung up or whatever, we could we might expect to find low mass stars moving about the place because people will have uh, civilizations will have developed on planets around low mass stars. And because they live so long, they'll have lots of time to, you know, evolve and move up the Kardashev scale and build these sort of trusters. Or you could just have civilizations from any star discover low mass stars. Because, like, once you're, once you're out and traveling the, the, the universe, oh, well, maybe you're assuming the only travel is on low mass stars, stellar engines. Because remember, we're one of the kind of the tenuous assumptions of uh, Dyson spheres was that FTL travel is not possible. Right, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but So I think that's really cool. In the very distant future, there'll be like little M-class stars just like really slowly moving across the galaxy to like maybe to get into like a better place. Like, I don't know, like if, if they were just about to sp- pass through a spiral arm of the galaxy, uh, a civilization could be like, whoa, geez, in a billion years, we're going to be in trouble. Let's move our star. I think that's class. I seem to recall something in Ringworld about moving star systems. Oh, the the rosette is it the rosette? Yeah, the Ke- Kemp- Kempler. I always I always call the Kepler rosette. It's Kemp Kempler Kempler rosette or something like that. Maybe the um, the puppeteers who are one of the races. They mm. have a. It's like five stars. Um, in yeah, it's, it's. I think they've got five stars, and their their system is built around that. And it moves kind of together, and, but and it's a lot faster than than what you're describing. I think <laughs> the the stars were uh, moved into that uh, arrangement. Yes. Yeah. Um, a gravitational system of heavier and lighter bodies orbiting in a regular repeating pattern around a common barycenter. So, uh, like three large and three small bodies orbiting around a a center. There's nothing in the center. Forming forming kind of a hexagon shape, isn't it? Forming a hexagon in this, yeah. 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 That that rosette is a very interesting I was nearly made a video on this. Um it's a very interesting structure. The only problem is it's like theoretically viable. Um mm. but it's not gonna hold up in real life. Like even if we could move the stars into those positions. Like mm-hmm. the like the, the tiniest, the most like infinitesimal gravitational tug 
will just send the whole thing cascading into chaos. Yeah. It's like, it's such a finely balanced thing that really the only way of getting that is to have some way of like correcting orbits of stars, like like mechanically. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. But it makes for a really cool system. Definitely. Um, so yeah, you have the thruster, which which is really cool. And there's various different um, variations on the thruster and how it works, um, which I think is class. And just this whole idea of moving stars, it's, it's amazing to think that like, people of flesh and blood may one day be able to do that you know mm-hmm. like we see that we see the universe as being this rigid constant unchanging thing for the most part and we are able to manipulate like that i think that's i think that's class i have a final type of of uh, dyson sphere i want to talk about oh yeah it, kind of it's not it's not i suppose not really dyson sphere per se but it's a it's a mega structure that i think i want to know i, I want to talk about and that is the topopolis or Topopolis. Okay. Again, never read, only ever read these before. Never, never said them out loud. So this is like an O'Neill cylinder. Now, do you know what an O'Neill cylinder is? I certainly do. All right, do you want to? Do you want to explain? Give a give a brief description. So an, an O'Neill cylinder is a space habitat, not anything on these kind of um, these kind of scales. It'd be mm. like say a few miles long, which uh, rotates to provide internal pseudo gravity. And would be like, say, placed at a Lagrange point or something. So, and then you, you would seal it up, it would rotate, you could um, put an atmosphere on the inside and then inhabit the inside. Yeah, it's a space habitat. It's one of the things that people propose putting as part of a Dyson bubble. Right. Like, it would be one of the habitats in the swarm around the star. Um, mm. Interesting point on O'Neill cylinders, though, is that they rotate in both directions. What? So, you have a cylinder, right? Mm-hmm. All right and say that's rotating clockwise. Yeah. What you'll have to do is you'll have to wrap another cylinder around it and rotate it anti-clockwise. Why's that? You rotate the inner cylinder to get artificial gravity, yeah? Mm-hmm. But that's going to produce a gyroscopic effect. And your space habitat is going to start moving out of where it should be. So you put another cylinder around the outside of it and rotate it the other way to cancel out the gyroscopic effect so it stays put. Huh. Which I think is really cool. I think it's very interesting. interesting. But anyhow, uh, so we have basically a cylinder that's lined with like livable areas on the inside of it. Yes. If we take that and we stretch it out, okay, into like an incredibly long tube and wrap it around a star, you have what's known as a topopolis. But then that can't rotate. That have to rotate in individual chunks. It's going to have to do something funky with the rotation, but yeah, it's it's kind of uh, an extreme extension of the ideas of an O'Neill cylinder. Yeah. And the only reason I bring this up, Bill, is because because it's a loop, right? You can knot it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so you can really easily arrange it in a configuration that is like, I don't know, a trefoil knot. And we all know how much Edgar loved, loves the knot. So yeah, when I read that, cool. I was like, brilliant. That's very cool. One thing that um, does occur to me, I'm going to mention this because it's a book that some of the listeners might, might find quite interesting. Go for it. Um, it's a book called Great Mambo Chicken and the Transhuman Condition. <laughs> Class. And it touches on a lot of different topics. It's been a while since I read it, but it kind of goes into transhumanism and a lot of history of sort of space exploration and kind of uh, rocket development. There's a bit about evil Knievel in it. Oh, cool. Um, Always good. They, they they mention like very very large scale engineering things like you know Dyson Dyson spheres and that. Mm. One point that is made is the ethical implications of a Dyson sphere. 
Oh, what's the ethical implications? So you're taking... The aim is to get, like, 100% or as much as possible of the energy output of a star, right? Mm. What if your star is, like, the North Star for some distant civilization? I had not thought of that. you're, You're denying them that thing that they need to to navigate by that's that's actually very interesting i i thought you were going to go down the lines of is it ethical to tear apart a solar system to build one of these like it's not like we're using it it's not like we're using the solar system (laughs) (laughs) but like you know when people talk about the terraforming of mars like is it ethical to terraform mars totally yeah no that's and that's a really interesting discussion I, I think it's I think it's a really interesting uh, Kim Stanley Robinson no yeah yeah so but I had not considered the effects it would have outside of, uh, outside a star system that's really interesting yeah so that's um that's a uh, now it's been a while since I've read it but that's one of the things they mention um it's it's quite it's it's an old book now it's from like 1990 or so but a lot of what's in it is is because you know it's dealing with stuff so far ahead. Mm. Um, might be still of interest to to listeners, and they they, they talk a little bit about certainly about cryonics. Uh, sorry, what, what? about certainly about cryonics. Um, I don't know if they talk about mind uploading or that. I can't remember. What's your What's your opinion on uh, being cryogenically frozen? Um, that it's pretty cool. <laughs> so you'd be all for it. You'd hop straight into the refrigerator if the technology happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm totally with you as well. I think there's. The only drawback for me would be that if I were to hop in a fridge now and be awoken in like 300 years, adapting to society might be difficult. Oh, yeah, of course. That's the um, only thing that would trouble me. Transmetropolitan deals with this very, very well. What What is Transmetropolitan? It's a comic series from the 90s. Okay. Written by Warren Ellis, I think. Sorry, give me a sec, because I, I would confuse mm-hmm. him with another comics writer. Yes, Warren Ellis. Uh, the comic author Warren Ellis, not the musician Warren Ellis. Okay. Um, it's set in... It's a sort of a post-cyberpunk set in this like huge, huge city on the east coast of America. You could say that it's New York or it's kind okay. of like the, the sprawl, like it's kind of New York to... Uh, Boston to Atlanta kind of megacity sort of thing. And it follows a journalist called right. Spider Jerusalem. And he's kind of like a... It's it's kind of like Hunter S. Thompson in the twenty third century. Cool. Um, he he's a very very similar character, and it's all about like the 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 different societies and stuff that have have grown up in in this time since. They like they never give like specific dates or like specific locations or anything. Okay. But it's it's like it's East Coast America at some point in a post cyberpunk future. But one of the things in the society is people that have been woken up from from chronic storage. Okay. And they're just kind of abandoned. Oh, that's really bad. So, like, like the, the say your condition for being revived is, like, it's 200 years later, mm. or some specific thing has happened, like, all um, all your relatives are dead, or whatever, or your, your, your savings have come to a certain amount, something, whatever it is. Yeah. You're woken up. But society has just changed so much. So there's there's one episode, there's one issue or storyline about a woman from the 20th century being revived, and she's just kind of woken up from the storage facility, given a blanket and a coat and a pair of shoes. Oh, that's door. that's dark. 
Yeah. Oh, that's that's terrible. Yeah, yeah I, it's I, it's a really really good comic. I'd hi- highly recommend it. I will. Totally and that's, that's a very very good episode. I think if I were to be frozen, I'd like to be like legally reassured there'd be some sort of like rehabilitation on the other end. Yeah. You know, like if they're just like, ah, well, okay, right, get, let's get the next fifty out of freezing and out of storage and put them out in the streets. That I no, I wouldn't yeah. sign up then. You know. But you never know, like what might change while you're there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It 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 is a tricky one, but like the idea of being able to, you know, like to, to see things that we know we're not going to see. Like like example, uh, Mars. What? Yeah. Sorry. No, you you finish out. Um, Mars is going to have a ring system in, in a in a few million years. Oh, because Phobos and Demos are going to break up. Uh, Phobos, I think. I think, or is it Demos? One of them is breaking up. Uh, not the other one. Uh, and that's going to have like a, a sort of interim unstable ring system. And I would totally want to be around f- to see the pictures of Mars with a ring. For sure. You know, and like, I know that's not reason to like, you know, freeze yourself and potentially put yourself through the trauma of trying to adapt to like year uh, life millions of years uh, in the future. But mm. those sort of things, I would I would love to see those sort of things, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. I have two points to make there. Go for it. I have an, I have an additional point to make as well. So you first, then me. One each then? One each. Let's do it. Okay. Um, I missed the obvious example of fiction dealing with uh, readjusting to a scary future after being chronically frozen. Oh, the of um, Superman. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, go on. Futurama. Future. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's like, yeah. It's weird. When you say fiction, I always, cartoons always have something, they're always in a different part of my brain. Non-fiction? No, no, they're just, it, it's not a logical filing system I have going on up here, right? Like, when you go fiction, I go, okay, what book, what book, what book yeah. have I read that has this? But yeah, uh, you're dead right, yeah, Fry is cryogenically frozen, isn't he? He is, yeah, that's, that's the, the premise. He comes from what era? Like the 90s, isn't he? He, he gets frozen on New Year's Eve 1999. Okay, and then Futurama is set in what year-ish? It, he, he's frozen for a thousand years, so and it's set like... A thousand years ahead of when it's aired, pretty much. Oh man, they really didn't do much about like inventing new technology. Christ, you see the state of their <laughs> spaceships for a thousand years in the future. <laughs> Lord. Um, <laughs> also, the CG is pretty dodgy for a thousand years in the future. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, what's got? Great show, great show. Uh, my point. Mm-hmm. The you mentioned about uh, the ethical implications of the Dyson sphere thing, yeah. and how it will block out stars' light. Yeah. I do want to say, though, um, that if you construct the solid shell... Yeah. So we usually, like, the solid shell we think of as blocking out all the light. But I think it's really important to note that it only blocks out light in the visible spectrum. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, but this again, this is not something that everyone's, like, immediately aware of. Like, if there was Dyson spheres around every single near-Earth star, we wouldn't be able to see them with our eyes, but our telescopes and our technology would pick them up just as brightly. Yeah. And I just, that's a little little detail. I, you what? Our robo eyes. Our robo eyes, exactly. It's just a little detail that I don't think many people are aware of or pay attention to. And I just want to chuck that in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a point. Go. About being alive to see the ring system around Mars and stuff. Mm. Um, another thing mentioned in that, that book, Great Mambo Chicken and the Transhuman Condition, mm-hmm. um, is The Last Proton Club. The Last Proton Club? Yeah. Oh, can I take a stab at this? Yep. Uh, is this like a 
very, very, very far future where all matter has decayed and this club is based on theorising about how the universe will be once the last photon blinks out of existence. Be more ambitious. Be more ambitious? A more ambitious guess than that. Okay, but I'm on the right lines. Yes, you're about the, about the last proton, far future, proton decay, all that stuff, yeah. Okay, uh, they are... Oh, oh, are they like a rebel a rebel faction that is seeking to bring, up, bring about this, like... Uh, <laughs> to bring about, like... Accelerate this, proton decay. Accelerate the destruction, the natural <laughs> destruction of the universe. Edgar, that is the most amazing, like, supervillain idea. I, I, what can I say? I'm a creative genius, you know? <laughs> um, no, this, I, this is an actual group of people. It's an actual... Like, group of people, like, alive now, no. Well, I don't know if they still are. They, they certainly want to be. Um, oh. I don't, I don't, tell me now, I'm really intrigued. Okay, think about being alive to see the, the rings around Mars. Yeah. It's a group of people who are interested in longevity and cryonics and stuff, who, and, you know, things like mind uploading, who are determined to be present to observe the p- decay of the last proton. Oh, okay, I, I was, uh, yeah, I... I was very close and I somehow overshot the mark <laughs> a ton there. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. I don't know if I would be one of those people. It's a pretty, pretty dull experience, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, think of all the other awesome stuff you'll see in the intervening quadrillion years. Oh yeah, but if you were not in stasis. Oh no, no. I mean, like, you couldn't be out in stasis. Oh, you know, you couldn't be in stasis, yeah. Because matter would be decaying. matter wouldn't be there, yeah. So how how do they, <laughs> how do they intend to? Oh, because it's uploaded. Because they're uploaded. So as in, they will live as a computer, and then they will. But computers are going to decay as well. Man, I'm struggling to see how they're going to be around when the last uh, last protons there. They haven't figured out that bit yet. Oh, right. I mean, they, they just they think, reckon like that's an engineering problem. <laughs> it's a hell of an engineering problem. It's, 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 a, it's a big engineering problem. That's true. I've got this great idea, except it totally will never happen. <laughs> well, no, they'll figure out something else. Like, they'll figure out how to transfer consciousness into a delicate interplay of photons. Or... Um, parallel universe hopping. Yeah, possibly. See, see, look, I'm an ideas man. I'm an ideas man, you know? I feel like I've already come up with the premise of a great, great story just in the last couple of minutes, you know? You, they just don't make characters like, like me I'm... anymore, Bill. I'm going to write that down, Accelerate Proton Decay, and I'm... That's going to be... Okay, all right, we're going to make that the title of the, the podcast. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm, I, I, like, that's, like a, that's an album there. That's a, that's a sci-fi concept album there. I'm just, I'm just a genius. Uh, on that note, shall we call it, uh, call it an end to the main topic there? I think so. I think that was a good run. Uh, do you want to head into the green room? Let's. Let's do it. Uh, do you want to start? Do you want to tell me some of your adventures in Billland? Adventures in Billland. I I haven't been up to a lot recently. We've been doing some composing. No. Yeah. No. I I finished a piece there on so Tuesday or Wednesday. Cool. Do you want to tell us about that? Not a lot to tell. I wrote a piece for clarinet, French horn, soprano, organ, violin, and cello. It's going to be boy. performed in just over, just under a month. Cool, very, very cool, very cool. Uh, happening in, I assume, Dublin? Yeah, in uh, Trinity Chapel in Dublin. Cool. If I'm about, I shall try and pop in. Is it, I assume this is open, open to the public, yeah? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Cool. Happy with your work? 
Uh, for the most part, yeah, I'm quite happy with it. I've I've uh, kind of tried some some new things in it, and they went reasonably well. Cool, very cool, very cool, very cool. So yeah, because you were crazy, you were very very hard to get uh, this past week or so. Yeah, no, I've I've been I had I've had a lot of work, so I'm you know I'm working my usual five or six days a week, and then writing this on top of it, and I've got exams coming up. My exams will all be finished by now. Actually, uh, piano students doing exams today. Oh, your your students' exams. I was like, what are you studying? No, no, my, oh. my, my students' exams. And I was going to be doing a course on Coursera this month, but I was, didn't have the time with when I had this um, piece to write, so I'm quite quite upset about that. I was going to be doing the linguistics course, but... You I'll were going to, to do the linguistics course? Yeah. Very Miracles cool. Miracles of Human Language, I think it's called, on Coursera. So I'll, I'll just do it the next time it comes around in a few months. Oh, oh man, if, when we're, if we're still doing the podcast then, which I hope we will be, will you definitely tell us about that? Yeah, sure. I, sure. I would love to hear about that. That'd be Certainly. great. Um, I'm, looking for, I'm looking forward to doing it, because I signed up for it like during the summer. So I've been looking forward to it for a while. Um... Yeah, because you did one on uh, a Coursera thing on uh, composing? Songwriting, yeah. Songwriting, songwriting, yeah. Something like pop songwriting. I did that a few months ago. Um, oh. What else have I been doing? Um, uh, continuing learning to drive. Uh, I've got all of my oh, you, official you, lessons you finished. To, you learned to drive? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. How's driving well, going? No, no, you're going, going fine, yeah, it's going fine. Uh, how, uh, what's the death toll so far? Um, I mean, like... Inclu- Somewhere south of Stalin still. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like a pigeon, two cats, a dog and a sheep. All right. <laughs> south of Stalin, I love it. <laughs> I, hedgehogs. I have a little uh, driving anecdote. Do you? That I, I could possibly share. I think it's it's a little bit humorous. Um, I don't drive, as you mm-hmm. probably know. I, I do. I am a rubbish driver. Uh, at the times where people have attempted to teach me, have not worked out very well. And the funniest time was when my mother, when I was a teenager, took me down to a place called Kermungan. And it's a place local to us here. And basically what it is, it's a, it's a really cool little area. It's a school with a huge open sort of tarmac car park area mm-hmm. that leads on to a pier and onto a lake. Right, so it's it's very kind of picturesque. It's really really cool. So she took me down there, and she was like, "Big open car park, car park. You could just learn. Well, I'll teach you how to drive here." Uh, and so so she tried to, and the net outcome of everything was that I ended up parking the car in the lake. Um, yeah, no, well, it wasn't like I drowned the car. I parked it in maybe I don't know a few centimeters of water. Um, inadvertently because I panicked and I couldn't find the brakes and everything went went haywire uh, and so she's like get up uh, get out and walk in the water around the driver's seat and it was very funny <laughs> so I, I, at that time I went mm, maybe this driving thing isn't for me maybe maybe it's not maybe for me, it's no. not um, so yeah that's that's Edgar doesn't drive for that reason I haven't I haven't uh, parked in any lakes yet um, good south of Stalin and completely drive very good or, or crashed or any of that crack so everything's everything's gone fine the good thing about going to the actual proper uh, driver teachers, which you have to do here, you have to get like 12 lessons from an accredited teacher, mm-hmm. is that they have pedals as well. So they will stop you from like crashing into lorries or lakes. parking in lakes and things. Yeah. yeah. So that's good. I've got my 12 lessons finished and I'm just going to practice for a while before my test. Um, cool. Very cool. I've been reading a fair bit recently. I read the Hunger Games trilogy a couple of weekends ago. Oh, right. Okay. Huh. Yeah. That, that strikes me as something that you... Is that the first time reading it? Yeah. Oh. Oh, very good. What's it like? Any good? 
Yeah, I like it a lot. I'm a big fan of the films, or at least the, the first two films. Yeah, I like I like Hunger Games as well. I think it's a really cool world. It's yeah, it's it's fleshed out a bit better in the books. The world is, and some of the the things I I thought were a bit odd about the world building in the in the film, kind of things that didn't really make sense, are much clearer in the book. Mm-hmm. But I think I prefer the films overall because they're so visually impressive. They're so well designed. Yeah, the aesthetics in them are incredible. Like the there's like three very strong separate visual design themes in the first film. Mm. Um, you've got like the crushing poverty of like the, the Appalachian District 12 and they're all mm. wearing like homespun clothes and things. And then the soldiers turn up and they're like real classic science fiction, like yeah. 1970s kind of yeah. stuff. And then the capital is all like new romantics. You know, like they're all like Boy George and they're like really kind of made up and stuff. It's, it's, yeah, 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 it's, it's such hyper- a visually impressive movie. Yeah, like hyper neo romanticism, like it's 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 yeah. crazy. It's re- it is re- it, that film is is it's beautiful. Those films are really mm. good, really really good. But the book has kind of a kind of a classic sci fi element to it as well, in the way that they sort of re- real offhandedly describe some of the advanced technology. It's a real sort of early to mid twentieth century way of dealing with things. Like if you jump off the building, and an electric field throws you back up. So it's mm. just like oh, an electric field does it. It's fine. <laughs> Hand wavium. Um, yeah, totally, totally. But in, in a real kind of retro, vintage kind of way, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and like, well, again, I haven't read the books, but the, just going on the movies, you don't ever feel like the hand wavium is too much like. It, no, not at all. It, it, it fits all. in, it all fits in very, very nicely. And it's a very, very consistent and logical setting. It's it really good. Yeah. Really, really good. And I finally got, remember I mentioned the, the Sharp series before? Yes. The the Napoleonic, I finally mm. got a load of those books. So I'm um, I'm reading them in internal chronological order so not the order they were published in um, I mean, cool. some actually got, yeah and they're tons of fun fighting the French and uh, probably the, the French are really terrible like it's, it's really like very very awful about the French they're they're like every one of them is a war criminal um, and I'm getting kind of sick of this actually you might have seen me I was talking about this on Facebook a while ago I'm getting a little bit sick of all this fiction in which the British Empire are the good guys because they really weren't. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they weren't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I think more generally, though, I, I think everyone is kind of getting sick of fiction that's too black and white. Like, these, these are good guys, these are bad guys, that's the way it is. Yeah. You I know? mean, I, I guess I guess in general, but it's just like, particularly like the British Empire, who, like, okay, they, they, they abolished slave the slave trade during the Napoleonic Wars, mm. but like... Their, their actual like navy was still based on literal slavery. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, like yeah. for all that time, and you know, the genocide and colonialism and everything. And this, yeah, it like, wasn't. It wasn't great. Now, to be fair, okay, the, Napoleon, you know, did a lot of terrible things and was kind of a massive hypocrite and stuff. But you know, liberty, equality, and fraternity. He had some nice ideas as well. And <laughs> kind of, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting a bit tired of of the the British Empire just being portrayed as as do gooders. Anyone wants to send in some reading recommendations that portray the British Empire in a negative light, please do. Um, Specifically with reference to the Napoleonic Wars. <laughs> <laughs> the most niche of things, like. That, that's me. I have I have a couple of books that, that um, uh, portray the Napoleonic Wars from the French point of view. Because, I, as I said, I asked this on Facebook a while ago, mm. and I got a link to some. There's, um, do I have, oh, I don't have it saved on my phone. I can't find it here either. Um... Hmm, where did I save that list? There's one of the 
I think it's called Seven Seven Men from Gascony, something like that, okay. which is about uh, seven friends who join the French army and fight uh, at Waterloo. Okay. Yeah, which I'd, which I'd quite like to read. It, can, can I ask, what, what is his fascination with, with French history and Napoleon and Napoleonic well, it's, era? It's not, it's not specifically French history, it's the Napoleonic era, and I just think it's a really interesting part of time. All right, sell it um, to me in one line. Napoleon was a huge badass. Oh, who accomplished no, uh, how, hang on, hang on. No, no, you can't sell it to me on Napoleon is a badass. Like, we get that. Like, I, I appreciate that. I know how badass he is. Um, but, well, that wasn't the end. Okay, all right, but you only have a finite number of words. Do it. <laughs> well, I was going to get it in one sentence. Napoleon was, was a huge badass who accompanied a, a vast amount in his lifetime. Okay. And was possibly the greatest, one of the greatest generals of all time. And he got beaten by Wellesley, which makes Wellesley even cooler. And also Wellesley was Irish, which is pretty great. Okay. Ah, okay, yeah. So it's, um, it's, I guess, it's, it's Napoleon, really, then. It, it, no, th- I guess there's more to it than that. It's also, like, the, the all the interactions with, like, in, in empire and colonialism at the time, when that was, like, becoming... It was kind of the, the, the beginning of, sort of, late colonialism. Okay. And, like, the British Empire in India. That's, like, all that is fascinating. And the kind of the evolution of sort of enlightenment ideals and how in a way like that enlightenment ideals, we could say they either were corrupted or the unpleasant parts of them were exposed around that time. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. Yeah. Because, you know, the the, the enlightenment is, you know, so much about like the, the equality of men mm. and all that. And, and that you know, clearly didn't happen everywhere. And it clearly didn't happen. And they came up with all this... Um, you know, pseudo-scientific ideas about race and things to justify yeah. the power structures that, like, re- required things like slavery and colonialism to exist, mm-hmm. which are so clearly, if you look at them from our point of view, so clearly wrong. against yeah. the ideas. No, no, I don't even mean wrong on a, on a you know, a neutral sense, in a, a, kind of a, an objective sense. They're, mm. they're wrong and they go against what people from the Enlightenment claim to believe. Okay, so they go against their own ideals. Yeah, they yeah. like so the Enlightenment happened, and it was like you know the equality of man and all all this good stuff, and you know t- getting rid of aristocratic privilege and the end of you know uh, monarchy and absolute power of of individuals just based on their birthright. But it there was so much it didn't dismantle, or in and then mm. in some ways it allowed racism of a modern kind to exist because I don't think historically the kind of racism we think of nowadays really exists. People were xenophobic and they didn't trust outsiders and things, but they didn't have these ideas that people were inherently subhuman or inherently inferior. I think that's a modern invention in a lot of respects. Yeah, no, you see, you're selling to me better now. Yeah, but Napoleon was so cool, dude. (laughs) And, like, the the way he changed fighting, like, the, the way he fought the war that went against the way it was normally fought at the time. And he, like, revolutionised um, the use of artillery. There's so much that he did it w- it with respect to war. And the Hundred Days, man. The Hundred Days is, like, the coolest thing in history. <laughs> and then if you read Temeraire, she invents a kind of aerial warfare that was appropriate to that, like, tech level and the way people fought. And then she reinvents it in a way that is believable for Napoleon to have done. Yeah, those books seem awesome. Yeah. They seem incredible. Like, um, I I will if if the captain picks up a physical copy of them, I will definitely read it. 
Um, I can possibly lend you mine when you come down next month. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I will I will definitely accept that if you want. It'd be very, very interesting. And then at least I think I might be able to at least partake in your love of this era. Um I feel somewhat like like I like a Philistine. I'm like I, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and also, it's just like the aesthetics are cool. Like they're cool uniforms and stuff. <laughs> I I don't think that. I don't. I really? Think you, yeah. No. I think there's better eras um, for uniforms. Like like a- ancient Greek, great uniforms. What like just like a curious and a shield. Yeah, and then with the, like, well, I'm not sure how like accurate. Togas. <laughs> no, no, I'm not sure how accurate uh, movies are then, because all I'm basing this is on movies. But like you know, like the the, the chest plates, the metal chest chest plates. And mm. then you have like you know you have the, like the oh no maybe this is this is Roman sorry Roman like the metal chest plates and then like the the red skirty thing and the dagger holster yeah yeah Ro- Roman Roman um, uniforms can be pretty boss all right I yeah I think they're they're better than Napoleon's Napoleonic era uniforms they all just I like seem- the Trojan helmets though you know you know the the ones I mean oh with the uh, with the broom on top. Yeah, with the kind of crest thing on top. Yeah, 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 they're cool. I made one of them for a nativity play one time for myself. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, paper mache a Trojan helmet and then tore apart a broom and stuck it on the top. That's class. Uh, I, I easily had the best costume that year by, by a long shot. There was a giant one of those in a park near where I used to live in York. A giant nativity play? Yes, yes, Edgar, a giant nativity play. Uh, a giant Trojan helmet. <laughs> oh, really? Why? Just no idea. It was just like a sculpture in the middle of a park. It was a. Uh, it was Roundtree Park, actually. You know, Roundtree as in food pastilles. I do. Yeah, they they were founded in York, and there's a park near where I lived called Roundtree Park, um, and it was in there. The rest of the park was covered in goose poo, but uh, there was this giant helmet, and you could like go and sit inside it and stuff. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Anyhow, uh, I have some stories. Go for it. If that's okay with you. Um, the first thing that's been happening in Edgar's life, I suppose, is that I have found out that in Dublin, one can buy Salmiak. Oh, no way. Yeah, the captain oh, found my, out. My Finland present is going to be pretty pretty rubbish now. I reckon Continental Salmiak is still going to be a lot better. Okay. Um, but uh, a place called Mr. Sim's Old Sweet Shop, and that's old with an E and shop with two P's and an E. <laughs> of course. Um, and I haven't been there because the captain has picked up Samyak for me from there. I've yet to go in myself. Uh, but there is a place to go and buy salty licorice in this country. And when I, fo- when I found that out, I'm not lying, Bill, I was close to tears. <laughs> close to tears. <laughs> And so, oh yeah, and, and uh, leading off from this, people have been sending me licorice-related stuff. Good. Uh, like, just like um, tweets and things like that. Um, and was it the React YouTube channel? You know, where the kids react to something? Yeah. Yeah, they did a, a, a Samyak episode, and I got hit with a couple of tweets uh, because of that. So I want to start a thing, right? I'm going to try and start a thing. I'm not sure if this podcast has enough, like, people power behind it to do it, but I want to put it out there. For posterity, okay? Mm-hmm. Licorice is not the most liked thing in the world, all right? So every time okay. there is someone, especially someone notable or someone famous who likes licorice, this is a win, okay? Right? So what, what I want people to do is, if anyone hears about a celebrity or anyone notable liking licorice, <laughs> can, they, can, can they tweet at me, right, with the hashtag... Team Licorice, okay? 
So like Bill McGrath is on Team Licorice. I want to know every case of when someone no, is I'm on. Not. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally on Team. You like Licorice? No, I don't. I hate it. What? You talked about how we're going to go and have like a Licorice Team date one time. What are you on about, Edgar? No, you remember you said that there's this one Polish place in Dublin or Czech place that does like Licorice flavored drinks, and I was like jokingly, I was like, oh, we should go on I a like, date there. Okay. I like I like Kefola, yeah, I like Kefola. You oh, and you don't like actual licorice. I don't actually no, I can't stand aniseed flavor or li- licorice flavor stuff. I can't Bill, stand it at all. Bill, Bill, we're gonna have to stop the podcast. We we just we, we can't go on anymore. We can't be you friends knew, anymore. You knew this. I've said this so many times. No, no, no. You've never said this so many times. I definitely have. Like we've discussed licorice, but I don't think you've ever pointed out that you dislike it. Are you sure? I, I'm, um, you're making me doubt myself, but I was fairly sure about two seconds ago. <laughs> hmm. In any case, so Bill is not on Team Licorice, right? <laughs> so, so we need to find people that are on Team Licorice. So far, I know of one notable person, at least in the YouTube realm, and and beyond, that is on Team Licorice, and that is John Green. Right. The uh, writer and uh, owner of all things internet-y and vlogger extraordinaire is is and i quote strongly in favor of licorice so he's on team licorice so send me tweets hashtag team licorice anyone who likes licorice go for it so that's point number one point number two i am bill an imperfect human being i found out okay yeah i'll I'll, I'll try contain my surprise (laughs) 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 so and i say this only like mildly joking i like i've like perfect vision like perfect hearing no asthma no like uh inherited illnesses or anything so overall like no allergies so overall like edgar's quite okay as far as human beings go right you got perfect vision i have i have perfect vision yes i i got my eyes tested about a year ago and uh, she told me that i actually had prophetic vision (laughs) <laughs> you have prophetic vision yeah yeah she, she said I could see like five years into the future oh really oh god yeah yeah 2020 vision <laughs> oh god that's that's a terrible joke man that's a great joke Edgar and you know it oh the minute I said perfect vision were you like oh boy he's opened the gate yes I was <laughs> Um, but anyhow, um, yeah. So overall, I, I like I'm not I'm I'm okay as far as you know sacks of mostly water go. Um, yeah. But so I found out that my flaw, one of my one of my big flaws in terms of like uh, ailments, I suppose, is that I am terrified of everything. What? Yeah. No. This I only recently found this out, I, and I we had a discussion with the captain, and we listed my phobias, and the list is is, is extensive. Right. Okay. So I am afraid of spiders. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrified of spiders. Uh, the bigger they get, the worse my reaction is to them. Uh, I'm, af- I'm afraid of heights. Okay. All right. Uh, I am claustrophobic. Okay. All right. I am in kind of particular circumstances afraid of the dark. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, like the most terrifying thing is long, thin corridors that are dark. So if I can't in any way see the end of the corridor, it's terrifying. Like, absolutely terrifying. I break out in sweats and it's awful. Um, so there's that. 
And I also have, and this is a new one, I like stumbled across this randomly on the internet. I have what's known as, I believe, tripophobia, the holes. I am terrified of tiny holes. And I did not realize this was a thing until I stumbled across this, this, um, this word. So for people, um, I'm assuming all the other phobias are fairly self-explanatory. Uh, tripophobia, I, believe, I think it's called tripophobia. Anyways, tripophobia is um, a fear of things that have tiny, tiny holes. Yeah, lots and lots of regular kind of tiny holes. Lots and lots of regular tiny holes. And then what makes it even more terrifying is if the tiny holes are partially filled. And and like and you laugh right, but even saying this now is is causing my skin to crawl. Um, and I first discovered this when I was very very young, and I remember making pancakes. I learned the recipe for pancakes, and then I was always really bummed out because my pancakes weren't really fluffy. And so uh, I made I made them one time with baking powder in them. Right. And the baking powder obviously causes them to rise, but how stuff rises when you cook it is that like air pockets form. Yeah. Yeah, and so when you're making, if you fry pancakes and they have baking powder in them, the air pockets form and they open up into holes. And I remember very, very clearly cooking these pancakes and having to stop halfway through and just put them away because I was looking at them and like I was sweating and it was just really uncomfortable. Weird. Yeah, and I had chalked that up to just I was feeling bad that day or like a smell or something else. I'd, I'd, I'd like passed it away. And then only when I found out that there was a word for this phobia did I realize, oh God, I have that phobia. And um, and yeah, so that was kind of horrifying because I had to go Google the term, right? And if you Google the term, the images that show up are, if you, if you have this, it is the worst. And they should have like a content warning. Like they really should because I nearly got sick the first time I was seen. I was like, oh, oh my God. So that, that was a mildly interesting thing. Edgar has a fear of tiny holes. Um, there, for people who, who aren't familiar with it, I don't know if, if they're not really getting it, there's a, a pretty good uh, subreddit about chicophobia. Oh, I found that subreddit. Now, I didn't click on it because I was. <laughs> it was either a subreddit designed to get the response out of tiny holes or a subreddit designed to talk about the condition of being fear, fearing tiny holes. It's, it's mostly pictures, but they don't have thumbnails. Oh, and no, anything no, that's like really no. bad, it does have like a. It says trigger no, on no, it. And stuff. I get. There's probably some. There's probably some discussions. I. Well. I. No. This is not a thing I'll ever click on. That. No. That's fair enough. But for people who are curious, that's that's there. I'll, I'll throw the link in the show notes, but I'm not opening it. <laughs> um. But it's mad, and the thing is, it, mine isn't too bad because I began testing it then, like seeing, like like googling, like what are the common triggers of this. And I began putting myself in those situations to see, do I have a response? And I found out that it's, I don't have it very often, but when I do, it's very bad. And like a hmm. common thing for people with ty- uh, trypophobia is they're afraid of strawberries. Right. Because strawberries, and I never really bothered to pay attention to this, they, they have those tiny holes in their skin and they're filled with a seed, but not quite filled. Now, I, I don't have a response. Right. Yeah, now, yeah okay. and there's loads of other, like holes in cement, another big one that um, people have big responses to. Uh, I don't have responses to them. Thank God. Because imagine walking down the street and looking at your feet and going, oh God, this is terrifying. And mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, I never realized how bad this can be. And I read people's stories about how like it can be, if you have it really bad, like debilitating. 
you know, like unable to leave the house sort of debilitating. Like, you know, sand can elicit uh, a response, concrete, strawberries, anything that's in any way pocked or has little holes in them. It's like, it's crazy, crazy world. Yeah, that's, it's, I mean, I can kind of see how people would find it kind of gross or, or uncomfortable. Or I don't, I don't really have that, that, uh, that phobia, but it makes sense to me. I mean, obviously, like it is by definition irrational or whatever, but I can kind of, I can kind of get it. I, I can dig it. Yeah, because there's something almost like diseased about it. You know, like if you see a surface that has these little holes and stuff, it's almost like it's, it's, it's got an infection, you know? Yeah, there's a response of sort of like it, it, that. It's you need to get away from it because it's it's going to like infect you, you know. Um, mm. But yeah, it's 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 crazy. I I I'm actually really thankful. I now know the name for that thing. And then trying to explain it to people is hilarious. They're like, "So holes," and I'm like, "Yes." They're like, "But, but like holes. small holes <laughs> when like, there's lots of them." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it can't be big holes because like a pothole is is fine. I'm okay with that. I don't look at my cup and go, "Oh my god, this is terrifying." And they just, they just don't get a lull. And then when I show them pictures or link them to things, they always go, oh, I totally get it. It's really gross. Like kind of how you said. Um, but they, but I can't express the feeling of your skin crawling and the sweat and the anxiety. Oh, it's crazy. Crazy. I don't think I really have any phobias. I've got some weird things, like some weird um, sensations that I'm, I, I find very unpleasant. Oh, do you want to fill us in on some? Writing on chalkboards. Oh, it's terrible. It's 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 physically very uncomfortable. Like I get uncomfortable thinking about like the sensation of the chalk on the board. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. Do you know what's a nut one for me actually? No. Um, eating green apples. Really? Yeah. When when you hear the sound of teeth slicing into like the, like really like um like not the really hard green apples. So like slicing into the hardness and you get that that shearing sound. It oh it, it's it's terrible. It's awful. I, I think I got that from my father. My father was like that as well. Uh, and the funny thing was, when my sister was growing up, and uh, my sister's a lot, lot younger than I am, um, she loved green apples. <laughs> and she would, <laughs> she would constantly, as a young child, eat green apples in front of him. And he didn't want to just leave her. So he just sucked it up and sat there. And you could see him being in absolute oh, agony. God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, do you have any other weird ones? Um... We've got this one specific saucepan in my house here, in my parents' house, that I, I don't like cooking with because the, the sensation of like any tools against the bottom of it is kind of like a chalkboard sensation, so I really hate using it. Um, oh. That's oddly specific. I guess it's whatever metal that one's made from. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have that. The captain has a thing, uh, nails against certain fabrics. Oh, weird. Yeah, like it, my pillow at the moment is made of, in quotes, the wrong fabric. And if I rub, <laughs> if I rub my hands across it, it it sends her like it sends her daft. Hmm. Not sure if it's a phobia. I think it's just irritating to eardrums. You know? Yeah, yeah, an, an, an unpleasant, a peculiarly unpleasant sensation. Mm. It's weird. Humans are crazy, man. Yeah, don't understand it. Do not understand it. And then I spot one last point. I'll finish on before we uh, log off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have inadvertently adopted a cat here. All right. I just wanted to drop, uh, and I we had to, I named the cat, and I was torn between two names. Uh, it was either going to be Dog the Cat or or Duck the Cat. Kevin. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I always wanted to name it a real serious human name, like yeah. like Mar- Mary Jane, <laughs> and uh, yeah, give it a middle name, and then have it and use it like use your last name as well. 
But yeah, no, so I settled on Duck the Cat. What kind of cat is it? It's it's a mongrel type thing. Oh, interesting facts about th- about this cat actually. It's black, orangey and white. It's a very very weird uh, weird color. But I found out a student has told me, and I believe this to be true, that if you have a three colored cat, it's only ever going to be female. Yes. Yeah, mm. I think I, I read something about this uh, years ago. I think. I have it's, no idea. It's, that sounds vaguely thing. familiar. Yeah, so I had no idea that was a thing, which which makes for sexing your cat very very handy. Well, li- in one to- specific instance. <laughs> yeah, in, in that you, know, you don't have to lift it up and like you know open its legs and be all like hello. <laughs> you can just go ah three colors. You're a female. Well done. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, uh, duck the cat. Duck the cat is our new cat, and I personally am very uh, very happy with the name. Oh oh oh! I have one extra story. No, too late. You said that was the last one. Oh, no, no, I have to. to All right, okay. US citizens, there's a thing in Ireland called the Late Late Toy Show. And this is like an annual thing that happens where a late night talk show is turned into a toy show. It's kind of like a toy showcase for parents uh, to see what stuff they can buy their kids for Christmas. Yeah. All right? Like the Late Late Show has been, it's it's our main kind of late night talk show. Mm. Uh, It's every Friday since the 60s. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like, so once a year before Christmas, they have a toy episode. And it the, the Late Late Show is like an institution. It is yeah. as Irish as, as things come. So anyhow, the news here is that my sister has made it onto the toy show. Oh, no way. Yeah, so what happens again to our US citizens is that uh, kids can audition to go on and like try out toys to review them or to go on and perform to be like the musical acts, you know, mm-hmm. in between the toys. And so my sister and the local orchestra have made it on. Brilliant. Which is, which is really cool. And it's on tonight, actually. In fact, I think she just left to go to, to, go to Dublin. Uh, now, I bring this up for one reason and one reason alone. I told her, right? And I really hope she didn't think I was joking, right? I told her when she's on stage, look directly into your nearest camera, right? And do the doge eyes. You know the doge eyes? As in the meme doge. As in the meme, where you look to the side and you look the other way with your eyes. And oh, I was like, yeah. I was like, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to make sure you do this. And she was like, okay, Edgar. And I didn't get any sort of, I won't do this. So, <laughs> so perhaps tonight she might troll on a sort of national level. I, I really hope she does, you know? We can only hope. What does she play? Uh, she plays violin. Oh, okay, I don't know that. It's, it, it's, it's a strings orchestra. Well, the, I say play in a very loose sense. Edgar, that's your sister. Yeah, but no, no, this is no, she could be really good. She just never practices. Okay. This is, the, this is why, why I say playing. I mean, like, she picks it up half an hour every week and the entirety of those 30 minutes is in lessons. Right. So, you know, so hopefully if she go, if she ends up trolling the Late Late Toy Show with her doge face, she might become a bit of quasi-internet sensation. <laughs> let's hope so. Let's hope so. All right, dude, shall we call it there? Let's, let's call it there. Three hours and ten minutes. It's a new record. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Boom. The day I needed to be finished early. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you later, man, all right? Later, boss. Bye-bye. Bye.
the vexilog ve- vexilo- vexillology? Is it vex- vexological? Vex- no, well, or what's the subreddit called? Vexillology. Vexillology. Oh god, so- I'm not sure. Now, you, now, you, now I'm not sure. <laughs> Try to go check it up before we continue. <laughs> Vexillology, I'm sure it is. Vexillology. Uh, so, bear it Vexillology. Here. What? Vexillology. Vex- that's why I said vexillology. 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 What? Vexillology. Yes, what I said. I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's what you said. Dude, what about mine? <laughs> You're such a troll. Oh, I was, I was agreeing with you. I was reinforcing you. <laughs> oh, you're so. Oh, goddamn it! <laughs>